Well, hello there, and welcome to Pick 6 Movies. My name is Bo Ransdell, and I'm happy to welcome you to Episode 4 of Season 12 of this particular podcast. Season 12, you say? Why, that's no place to begin. Oh, pishaw. Let me explain how we do things around here. Along with my oldest friend, Chad Cooper, we select a set of six movies based around a similar theme. In this case, the theme for season 12 is As Seen on TV. That's right, it's a bunch of movies based on television shows what you might remember from your childhood. Or if you don't, well, they're movies that we remember from our childhood. Or in some cases, movies that were tattooed on our brains in a horrible, horrible fashion. Like this movie. That's right, episode 4 of season 12 of Big 6 Movies is The Dukes of Hazard. Considering my name is Bo, that is a cross I've had to bear for a number of years, but we'll get into that in a minute. First, Chad is going to give you some backstory on this movie. You know, a little story to whet your appetite. And then it's time for the main course. What could be better than a story about the Dukes of Hazard, you ask? Well, how about we talk our way through the story? And then we goof on things, and maybe make up some silly voices. It's a good time, and I'm happy to welcome you to it. Don't worry about those seatbelts for this episode, folks. Let's climb through the windows into the seats, fire up the engine, and jump that conveniently placed ramp just so we can get a little sweet taste of Waylon Jennings. Here's Chad with The Dukes of Hazard. I'm not, I'm not even sure where to start with this introduction. There's, there's just so much to unpack. Um... Hey, everybody. Lisa's here with me. Lisa's our, she's our intern this season. Lisa, everybody, everybody. Lisa, um, <laughs> I look more uncomfortable talking about this than I did Wild Wild West. That's pretty observant. Have you ever heard of this movie? Have you ever heard of the the TV show, The Dukes of Hazard? Have you ever seen the show? Do you know who Johnny Knoxville is? Yeah, from Jackass. That's something. Oh. Let me ask you guys, have you, have you ever had moonshine? But do you know what moonshine is? Not exactly is not a yes. If you've had moonshine, real moonshine, from a mason jar moonshine, you would know it. And you would most certainly remember it. Yeah. You know what? Let's start there. Purists, like myself, define moonshine as a homemade, unaged whiskey. It's characterized by its pure, clear color, and it's usually made from a corn base and has a very high alcohol content, sometimes reaching 190 proof. And according to those two guys over on Mythbusters, that's powerful enough to run a car. Immigrants from Scotland and Ireland who made their way to the southeastern parts of the United States, well, they brought moonshine to the U.S. in the 18th century. And moonshine was normally made in homemade stills and placed in mason jars for transport and consumption. And moonshine became the go-to alcohol for Southerners. As the popularity of moonshine grew, so too did the interest of the government to tax moonshine and get a little action on the back end. Alexander Hamilton imposed a tax on whiskey production in 1791, therefore making any untaxed homemade moonshine illegal. 
entrepreneurial criminals decided to tell the feds to stick it, and so they hatched a plan to make and distribute their whiskey at night, under the cover of moonlight, thus leading some to believe to be the origin of the beverage's name. Now, with untaxed moonshine production well, being illegal, a cottage industry emerged of whiskey producers for the next 200 years, with varying degrees of quality product, ranging from top-notch distilled hooch to products that would most certainly kill you. And so, moonshine wasn't always the safest way to get lit, because moonshine was difficult to make. And what made it so difficult? Well, it's because it was unaged. With aged spirits, oak barrels are used to create the different distinct flavors. Successfully making moonshine is more art than it is science. And without the influence of these oak characteristics that we, and especially I, usually think of when drinking whiskey, customers found that when someone could make a quality moonshine, well, that was someone to be cherished, respected, and above all else, protected for the good of backroad alcoholics everywhere who just wanted to get drunk, but they didn't want to die doing so. Quality makers of moonshine were iconic. They were the things of legend, and Jerry Rushing was just such a man. Rushing was a bootlegger who ran moonshine, and like many in his line of business, Rushing was born into it. Moonshiners were often ushered into the family business of making and distributing this highly sought-after illegal form of whiskey. When Rushing was young, he worked as a delivery driver, and this was a job that required him to drive at high speeds at night, under the cover of darkness, many times without his headlights on. Now, to accomplish this death-defying deed, Rushing modified a 1958 Chrysler 300D that was capable of hitting top speeds of 140 miles an hour. Now, you know who owned cars in the late 1950s that couldn't go 140 miles an hour? The cops! Rushing's infamous car was named Traveler, with just one L, and it was named after Robert E. Lee's favorite horse of the same name, but that horse was spelled with two L's. Now, during one particular moonshine run, Rushing had to abandon his car, Traveler, when it ran out of gas during a police chase, where it was impounded and later sold. That car was later purchased and restored by a collector. Huh, people collect the darndest things. Like many bootleggers of the day, Rushing turned his skills, learned on the job escaping from the cops, into a second career as a stock car racer, alongside fellow former bootleggers Junior Johnson and Wendell Scott. Rushing, according to stock car racing lore, was the one who perfected the stunt car maneuver known as the bootleg, or the 180, where the driver yanks on the emergency brake, locks up the wheels of the car to make it spin 180 degrees in the other direction. Now, pulling off badass moves like this caught the eye of Hollywood filmmakers, and Rushing eventually found work performing car stunts for the movies and television. And Rushing's colorful background as a good old boy who never meant no harm provided just the source material writer and director Guy Walden was looking for to make a feature film. The movie was called Moonrunners, and it came out in 1975, two years after the successful Burt Reynolds film White Lightning a movie that proved that audiences were interested in seeing a film about moonshiners with fast cars and loose women and drugs and crooked sheriffs and a big middle finger to the law enforcement and the federal government too. Now, Moonrunners was marketed as a pseudo-sequel to the film Thunder Road, starring Robert Mitchum. Now, the only real connection between these two films is that Moonrunners starred James Mitchum, the son of Robert Mitchum, and both films were about people running moonshine. Now, the plot of the movie was pretty straightforward. The film was narrated by a character called The Balladeer, voiced by Waylon Jennings, who introduced the film and commented on the adventures of the movie's two main characters, two cousins, 
Grady and Bobby Lee Hagg, who ran bootleg liquor for their Uncle Jesse Hagg of Shiloh County. Now, Uncle Jesse, he made moonshine, but he was a Christian. Now, the movie starts off with the cousin Bobby Lee in jail for getting in a fight at a bar called The Boar's Nest. Now, the other cousin, Grady, he drives a 1955 Chevrolet stock car named Traveler, this time with two L's, named after General Lee's horse. The county in which they live has a boss who runs just about everything, and Uncle Jesse and this boss, well, they don't get along. And Uncle Jesse constantly refers to him as Hog. There's a stock car driver named Cooter. There's a local law enforcement officer named Sheriff Coltrane. Both of the cousins are on probation and they can't own guns, so they use explosives attached to bows and arrows to blow up competing distilleries. Now, if all this sounds familiar, it should, because Moonrunners was little more than a southern fried version of Shakespeare in Love when it came to making the hit television show The Dukes of Hazard. Two years after the release of Moonrunners, Guy Waldron reportedly looked around and saw that a sixth of all of the music sales were country music, but there were no television shows aimed directly at the country music market. So Guy Waldron, he went to Warner Brothers with the idea of turning Moonrunners into a TV series. They reworked some of the more adult themes of the film into a more family-friendly fare, and this eventually became The Dukes of Hazard. The Dukes of Hazard was originally intended to be filler in the CBS primetime schedule until The Incredible Hulk returned the following year. Now, only nine episodes were ordered, and really none of the executives at the network expected anything to come from this hayseed series featuring two cousins at odds with the corrupt law enforcement in rural Georgia. The first thing that the show creators needed to do was find the right cast to transform the gritty characters from Moonrunners into the family-friendly Dukes of Hazard. Casting the two moonshine-running cousins of the show, Bo and Luke Duke, was interesting to say the least. Producers were looking for two hunky, sexy southern boys with toothy smiles and great hair and muscular chests to surprise and delight certain members of the viewing audience when the script called for the removal of plaid or western-style shirts. Dennis Quaid was considered for the role of Luke Duke, but Quaid wanted his wife at the time to play the newly added character, the sexy, sassy cousin Daisy Duke. And his wife at the time was P.J. Stoles. This was the same P.J. Stoles who was strangled to death by a phone cord at the hands of Michael Myers in the original Halloween. And she also received the Aunt Jemima treatment by Bill Murray in Stripes. For those who haven't seen Stripes, the Aunt Jemima treatment involves a spatula and it's a pancake reference. And it's not something inexcusably racist that needs to be edited out of the movie Stripes. So maybe it does. And the changes in today's culture evolve day by day. Who am I to say? And you know what? Speaking of things that are offensive, we're going to get to that topic in just a few minutes. Believe me, there's a lot to get to. Let's get back to the casting of the Dukes of Hazard. The producers didn't feel that PJ Stoles was the right fit to play Daisy Duke, so Mr. and Mrs. Quaid left the project. Producers continued to look for their Bo and Luke Duke, and they saw lots of actors to fill their boots. And it wasn't until an 18-year-old John Schneider made his way into the casting office that producers found one of the show's two infamous cousins. John Schneider was from New York City, and he didn't come anywhere close to meeting the required age of 24 to 30 years old to play the cousin. So to solve for this, Schneider simply lied about his age, and he also lied about where he was from. And Schneider just moseyed into the casting call, doing his best Southern good old boy, wearing a cowboy hat, and he was drinking a beer and spitting tobacco. He also told them that he could do stunt driving. I'm guessing that was probably a lie too, but who knows? And in the end, it was a good enough performance to land John Schneider the role as Bo Duke. So now the show had its bow, and now it just needed its Luke. 
Tom Wopat was a veteran stage actor and was brought into screen test. Legend has it that John Schneider met Tom Wopat in the bathroom during casting. Schneider saw a guitar under the stall door where Wopat was probably taking a poop. The combination of the guitar and a need to drop a couple of dukes at the same time sparked a connection between the two actors. After leaving the shitter, the two did a scene together, and just like that, Tom Wopat was cast as Luke Duke. Catherine Bach was eventually brought in as the female cousin Daisy Duke. Bach's wardrobe on the show included her ever-present low-cut jean shorts that became known in popular culture as Daisy Dukes. The short nature of her costume was a concern for network censors, who required that Bach wear pantyhose beneath her denim shorts to prevent any clothing malfunctions, or as one censor called it, a lip slip. Good God! The family patriarch Uncle Jesse was played by veteran film and television actor Denver Pyle. Watchful eyes of the Andy Griffith Show remember Pyle as the father of the Darling family, Briscoe Darling Jr. And Pyle appeared in just about every single TV show that was made in the late 40s through the 1970s. Gunsmoke, The Lone Ranger, The Virginian, Perry Mason, The Doris Day Show, Barnaby Jones. Making his way to the Duke Farm was a long road that landed him his most lengthy and notable role of his very long and robust career. Ben Jones was cast as the town mechanic Cooter Davenport. I didn't even know Cooter had a last name. Ben Jones was actually in the original film Moonrunners, but in that movie, he played Fred, a federal agent from Chicago. Ben Jones later shifted careers from acting to politics a little later in life. After the Dukes of Hazard ended, Jones was elected as a member of Congress from Georgia in 1989 through 1993. Some redistricting caused him to get bumped to another district and he lost his primary in 92. Jones was not to be deterred and he ran again in 94 against renowned terrible human being and former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich and he lost. With the good guys all cast, the show needed its nemesis, the iconic Jefferson Davis, J.D. Hall. What did you say, Lisa? Yeah, his name is Jefferson Davis Hogg. That's the, uh, the president of the Confederate States. Yep, that's what we're dealing with here. Was, was this show racist? Ugh. Short answer, yes. Um, slightly longer answer is yes, but in ways it didn't even know. You know. Let me let me wrap up the intro and you can save all of your youthful outrage till the very end. There's going to be a lot of it. Boss Hogg was to be a comical, boisterous, over-the-top character that would be a walking, talking caricature of the self-aggrandizing, corrupt, overweight, and white-suited, cigar-chomping rural godfather of this small southern town. Now, to play this walking cartoon buffoon was Sorrel Brook, who it turns out in real life was a brilliant man working way below his educational and professional training. Brook was a classically trained Shakespearean actor. He was a graduate of Columbia and Yale. He spoke five languages. He was gifted at replicating regional dialects, which enabled him to base Boss Hogg's accent on the voice of South Carolina Senator Strom Thurmond. And during filming, Brock also wore a fake belly to make him look fatter than he was off camera. Boss Hogg's number one corrupt law enforcement officer, Roscoe P. Coltrane, was played by James Best, who loyal Pick 6 movie listeners last encountered on this podcast when Mr. Best had phone sex standing upright in the hallway of a hospital, whereupon the world's biggest asshole, Burt Reynolds, decreased or increased life-saving medicine being administered via IV in the unforgettable suicide comedy, 
The End, Season 1, Episode 6. James Best had a lengthy career as an actor before being cast as Roscoe P. Coltrane, or as a hospital hallway masturbator in The End. Early in his career, Best worked as an acting teacher where he trained such famous performers as Clint Eastwood, Farrah Fawcett, Quentin Tarantino, and of course the aforementioned world's biggest asshole, Burt Reynolds. Best, later in his career, was a professor at the University of Mississippi and even went on to attain a black belt in karate. With all the main characters cast, production of the Dukes of Hazzard began in October of 1978, and production of the first five episodes took place in and around Atlanta, Georgia. During the filming of the pilot episode, it was reported that two of the show's directors were eating breakfast in the town square of Covington when they heard a car drive by that played the opening bars of Dixie on the car horn. This, they thought, must be in the show. They chased down the owner, bought the horn out of his car for 300 bucks, and installed it in the bright orange 1969 Dodge Charger with welded shut doors known as the General Lee. A car that was not only named after American Civil War General Robert E. Lee, the roof of the car was adorned with a full-sized Confederate flag. Yes, Lisa, what the fuck indeed. After a brief break over Christmas, executives at Warner Brothers, they saw the completed shows and they were pretty impressed by what they saw. So they ordered a full season of the Dukes of Hazard, And then production was moved to the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank, California. The Dukes of Hazard premiered on January 26, 1979, and it mixed up the popular trend at the time of showcasing women with very large breasts like Charlie's Angels and Three's Company, along with the good old boy films like Convoy and Smokey and the Bandit, season one, episode one of Big Six Movies. The show also embraced the CB radio craze of the 1970s, with each character on the show getting their own handles. Daisy was Bo Peep, Bo and Luke and the General Lee were the lost sheep, and Cooter's CB handle was Crazy Cooter. You know what, a few minutes ago I thought Lip Slip would be the most offensive thing I would say in this introduction. Now, the Dukes of Hazard hit the airwaves during a time when the country was really getting over the impact of the Watergate scandal, where a president resigned and flew away in a helicopter flashing peace signs. And the government was untrustworthy. People were suspicious of the man. And the Dukes of Hazard kind of embraced this idea of handsome, charming outlaw heroes who lived on the fringe of the law, but had the moral high ground because of their upbringing. They would break the law when it meant doing the right thing based on family bond and oftentimes standing for tradition. The Dukes of Hazard came along when politically in the United States, conservatism was kind of evolving. The show premiered one year before Ronald Reagan would be elected president and conservatism at this time couldn't really be identified as the man. And instead it took on the role as the outsider. Conservatives were people who were doing battle with the powers in charge. Conservatives were the little people fighting big government. Sure, maybe it's a little confusing for the General Lee to sport the Confederate flag, and the show's main antagonist is named after the president of the Confederacy, but the show never directly dealt with all of the infused Southern history or any overt social commentary. Bo and Luke were just good old boys, and the show just didn't really deal with issues of race. Now, there were some black characters in the Dukes of Hazard. In the pilot episode, there's one black guy who's a construction worker. He doesn't have any lines. Um, there was a small part for a character named Brody, who was a friend of the Duke boys in two episodes. Um, later, there was a, a minor recurring role for Sheriff Little, who was a black sheriff from a county adjacent to Hazard. You know what? Okay, look, 
At worst, the show was racist. At best, it was racist adjacent. The Dukes of Hazard featured a car with a symbol on top of it that some Americans proudly proclaimed was a symbol of heritage, while a whole lot of other Americans, and pretty much all black Americans, saw this as a symbol of racist history in America. Despite all this, the show debuted, and during its first season, it was the 20th most popular show on TV. And during its second season, it was the ninth most popular. Third season, it was the second most popular show on television, right behind the Texas primetime soap opera Dallas that aired immediately after the Dukes of Hazard each and every Friday night. The show was making money from advertisers, and it was pulling in insane cash from all of the Dukes of Hazard merchandising. Now, Tom Wopat and John Schneider, they felt that they weren't getting a big enough piece of the merchandising pie. So just before the start of the fifth season, Wopat and Schneider, they just didn't report to the set. This contract dispute over salaries and merchandising royalties led the producers to say, you think we can't find beefcake and bohunks to drive a car and shoot explosives with compound bows and arrows while sitting on the doorframe? Well, watch this, you two. So the producers of the show hired Byron Cherry and Christopher Mayer to come in as Coy and Vance Duke. They were Bo and Luke's cousins. Cousins, cousins? They're cousins eager audiences tuned in to watch the Duke boys jump bridges and blow shit up. And they got a load of these two scrubs and collectively audience said, who the hell are these two idiots? Warner Brothers eventually renegotiated with the show's stars. Wopat and Schneider returned for the end of this particular season, but the show's ratings began to slip. The next year, they fell to 34th, then 36th, and by 1985, they were 42nd. The writing and production of the show really began to fade in the eyes of fans. During the last years of the show, a shortage of Dodge Chargers resulted in the production crew painting AMC Ambassadors orange to fake the original car. Old jump footage was often used to save on production costs, and in the final season, radio-controlled miniature cars were occasionally used to simulate the iconic General Lee stunt jumps. And so it was, The Dukes of Hazard was canceled. The show did inspire a spinoff called Enos, where the show's lovable, dim-witted deputy took a job with the LAPD. There was an animated series. There were a couple of obligatory reunion movies in 1997 and 2000, both with most of the original cast. But as for the original series, it went into syndication around the world and on multiple networks here in the United States. The show lived on in reruns, and rural fans of the show continued to laugh along with The Dukes of Hazard while more urban viewers continued to laugh at the Dukes of Hazard. In 2004, it was announced that a big screen adaptation of the Dukes of Hazard would be coming to a theater near you. Sean William Scott, best known for playing Stifler in the American Pie movies, was cast as Bo Duke. Johnny Knoxville, best known for getting kicked in the dick in the Jackass TV show and the big screen adaptation in 2002 would play Luke Duke. To fill the role of Uncle Jesse was none other than everybody's favorite Holden country music singer Willie Nelson, canned chicken and canned tuna aficionado, pop singer Jessica Simpson would play Daisy Duke, our villainous boss Hog would be played by original Southern outlaw Burt Reynolds, and the rest of the cast was filled out by lesser known actors to varying degrees. The screenplay was written by John O'Brien, who at the time had banged out the screenplay for Starsky and Hutch. But most interesting about this film was its director, Jay Chandrasekhar, who was one of the guys behind Super Troopers and 
Club Dread and Beer Fest, which explains why this movie is peppered with slightly familiar faces from the Broken Lizard stable of actors. The movie cost $53 million to make, and the nostalgic allure of the TV show and this all-star cast returned about $109 million at the box office. This despite having a 14% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, perhaps the most memorable thing about this movie were the rumors of an onset affair between Johnny Knoxville and Jessica Simpson, who at the time was married to Nick Lachey. In Jessica Simpson's memoir, Open Book, she wrote a memoir? <laughs> Holy shit. Jessica Simpson addressed the emotional affair she had with Johnny Knoxville, saying, I could share my deepest, authentic thoughts with him, and he didn't roll his eyes at me. He actually liked that I was smart and embraced my vulnerabilities. He believed in me. It made me feel I could do anything. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. The movie did not inspire a sequel, but it did give rise to a direct-to-DVD prequel titled The Dukes of Hazard: The Beginning in 2007. And it was at this time that The Dukes of Hazard faded away without controversy from the public at large. That was until 2015, when Dylan Roof killed nine black people in a church in South Carolina in a racially motivated shooting. Shortly after the shooting, photos emerged showing Roof posing with the Confederate flag in the months leading up to the killings, leaving little doubt about his motivation. This sparked a national debate about race in America and the Confederate flag, prompting the South Carolina General Assembly to remove the Confederate flag from the statehouse grounds. Following the shooting, Walmart said it would no longer sell merchandise featuring the Confederate flag. At the time of the shooting, The Dukes of Hazard was airing on Nickelodeon Network's primetime lineup, Nick at Night. Nickelodeon immediately pulled the show from the air because the show featured the General Lee with the Confederate flag on its roof. And shortly after the shooting, Warner Brothers said it would stop licensing Dukes of Hazard merchandise that featured the Confederate flag. Now, Ben Jones, who played Cooter on the series, he made a statement regarding the controversy and said, I think all of Hazard Nation understands that the Confederate battle flag is a symbol that represents the indomitable spirit of independence, which keeps us making our way the only way we know how. That flag on top of the General Lee made a statement that the values of the rural South were the values of courage and family and good times. Now, it's unclear how many people actually heard Mr. Jones' statement as he made it clearly way over there on the wrong side of history. On July 2nd in 2015, golfer Bubba Wilson, who was at the time the owner of Lee One, I'm guessing this is the original General Lee, well, he announced via Twitter that he would be painting over the Confederate flag on the car's roof. Watson's announcement was returned with an offer from Brian Grams, director of the Volvo Auto Museum, with an offer to purchase the car due to its historical significance to the history of TV, and he wanted to put the car in the museum. But Watson said no, so that didn't happen. And all this controversy surrounding the Confederate flag and the residual impact of images and language of Southern heritage did not end there. A year later, in May of 2016, the United States House of Representatives voted to ban the display of Confederate flags on flagpoles at Veterans Administration cemeteries. Now, not surprising, all of this anti-Confederate flag momentum was met with equal opposition by those who said the flag was not a symbol of hate, but one of Southern heritage. Opposition to the Confederate flag and debate over symbols of America's history with race really came to a boiling point after the death of George Floyd at the hands of four Minneapolis police officers. 
the public outrage over George Floyd's death escalated the outcry related to the display of symbols glorifying America's past, including the Confederate flag, statues of Confederate military leaders, and symbols of slavery and systemic racism in the United States. As a result of this, the group Lady Antebellum changed their name to Lady A. The Dixie Chicks announced they're just going to be called The Chicks. Quaker Oats announced it would rebrand Aunt Jemima syrup and pancake mix. Disney announced it would retheme Splash Mountain, which was based on the all but band movie Song of the South. Statues of Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis, among many others, were removed from public display, oftentimes violently. And as for the Confederate flag, NASCAR, the home of the Confederate flag, and not just as a flag, but as like a shirt and shorts and a ball cap and bikini tops and wedding dresses. Yeah, that NASCAR. Well, NASCAR announced it was banning the display of the Confederate flag at all sanctioned racing events. And amongst all of this truly important cultural change that was going on in America, the Dukes of Hazard didn't go unnoticed as well as Amazon announced it was even considering pulling the show from its digital streaming service. Now, was the Dukes of Hazard a racist show? Short answer is yes. Slightly longer answer, yes, in ways it didn't even know. For some people watching the show, they loved watching the weekly misadventures of this Southern family as they did battle with corrupt politicians and no good law enforcement. For other people, it was a show where car stunts were performed by an orange Dodge Challenger that had the flag of slavery plastered on the roof. But what about the subject of this episode, the Dukes of Hazard movie? Does this all-star cast capture the nostalgia of the original show on the big screen? Does the charm of Johnny Knoxville and Sean William Scott somehow compensate for the controversy that is inherent to the show itself? And is this movie more racist than Wild Wild West? To answer these questions and many, many more, let's get my favorite bow in here to slide across the hood, pop in through the open window, and tear off down the dirt road as fast as this episode will take us. Ladies and gentlemen, Lukes and Bows, it is 2005's The Dukes of Hazard. What do you think, Lisa? Did you learn anything? Yeah, it pretty much was just a show for rednecks. <laughs> God. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper, and as always, I am joined by my hard-shifting, hard-driving, hard-living co-host, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing this evening? Howdy! (laughs) I am excited to put on the spurs and saddle up for the Dukes of Hazzard. I didn't expect a mini pearl reference. Well, you know I like to wear hats with tags on them. And you like to wear small pearls. I do. I think it's elegant and it's tasteful without ever being overstated. Mm-hmm. I said this to you off the air, but we say this a bunch on this show. Hey, this is the one of the worst movies I've ever received in my life uh, is a recurring theme of Pick 6 movies. Mm-hmm. And I have to uh, sound like a broken record here. This is one of the worst movies i've ever seen in my life i don't disagree 
It is a terrible movie. But I think what's more disappointing about this movie is that it feels like the filmmakers were just given the script and a bunch of costumes. Mm -hmm. And here's the cast. Now make a movie having never seen the source material before. I do have a theory about why this movie got made. Is it time for that? Should we do that now? Let me check my agenda. Mini Pearl reference. Check. Uh Reference to Bo's fashion sense. Check. Mm-hmm. Bose crackpot theory. Go on. So I think like Harrison CBS or whoever owned the Dukes of Hazard had a grandkid that was a big fan of Super Troopers and was like, Grandpa Harrison, I want to see a movie like this. Will you ever make a movie like this one day? And he was like, Okay, how about we give Dukes of Hazard to the comedy people that my my grandkid likes? So he'll shut the fuck up a little bit around the house. And then this is what happened where they clearly didn't give a shit about the proper it was just an excuse to hire a bunch of broken lizard people to pop up in a movie collect a studio paycheck and then laugh all the way to the bank yeah how this wasn't called broken lizards the dukes of hazard is beyond me yeah it really is striking and here's the thing here's the dirty little secret of broken lizard super trooper uh is pretty funny and then everything else is kind of crap and the more you watch super troopers the less funny it gets i'm glad you said that because i've never seen any of those movies again super troopers totally fine for the first time you see it you're probably the wrong age right which is not drunk (laughs) speak for yourself didn't mean to overstep my bounds (laughs) so that's my theory is it's just hey you guys made super troopers let's have you step up to the bigs and see if you can take this property and make something out of it and they couldn't they tried and they failed yeah and they, they should never do it again. Let me ask you this. Were you a fan of the Dukes of Hazard as a kid? Fuck no, Chad. It was a the albatross around my neck. I, as a bow, came before this fucking television show. That was my next question. Was having the name Bo when the Dukes of Hazard was out, was that a, a blessing or a curse? It was awful. The <laughs> 80s in particular were a bad time. So there was also Bo Jackson mm-hmm. that came on the heels of Bo Duke. And I still get... By the way, Bono's computers or something like that. And you're just like, just go fuck yourself. And likewise with the Bo Duke, like people would meet me. And here was the reaction, Chad. No shit. Just like, hey, my name's Bo. Bo Duke. That was it. It was just, I'm going to repeat a name I heard on the television. And I was just like, yeah, that was a character that shared my name. And that was always the response. It was just the recitation of the name. Bo Duke. See, when I was a kid, I loved this show. Just because it was cars jumping. But I mean, I liked all that stupid shit of BJ and the Bear and the Incredible Hulk and Manimal and all that other weird shit. Like, there was nothing going on. I was like, this is fucking crazy. I'll watch that. I got nothing else to do. I'm sure as hell not going to go outside and throw a ball or swing a bat. Not unless somebody forces me to. If the characters had been Luke and Jeff Duke, (laughs) I would have liked the show just fine. Now, according to internet trivia, Tom Wopat, John Schneider, and Catherine Bach, they were all offered cameos in this movie, Mm -hmm. but they read the script and they collectively said, "Uh, no, thank you. Your movie looks to be the blueprint for a forgettable pile of what in the hell is that? And they were right. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that they roped Wonder Woman into this. God. Let's start at the beginning, which is a really good place to start. Our movie opens and we hear a fiddle playing slowly, or maybe it's a violin. Bo, do you know the difference between a fiddle and a violin? I assume the the level of inebriation of the player. It's actually the number of teeth in the person's mouth who's playing the instrument. (laughs) I feel like I was in the ballpark on that one. 
Immediately, we hear the balladeer of the film, who, as I pointed out in the show open, was originally voiced by Waylon Jennings, but in this movie, the balladeer is voiced by Junior Brown. Now, I don't know anything about country music other than I try to avoid it whenever possible, but Junior Brown, he's this American guitarist who has this rich, deep voice, the kind of guy that you would go get if Waylon Jennings wasn't around because Waylon Jennings wasn't around due to the fact that Mr. Jennings died in 2002, three years before this movie hit the silver screen. That'll do it. <laughs> the balladeer says, Welcome to Hazard County, a little corner of the world where everyone knows everyone else, and people are never too busy to stop by and say howdy. Shoot, some folks even say this is where apple pie was invented. Who? Who says that, Bo? I want their names because they are wrong on many fronts. Apple pie isn't American. It was first recorded in cookbooks in England in the late 1300s. And apples came to America by way of Asia. Who told you this, Balladeer? What other lies have they been spreading? Look, people are saying apple pie was invented in America. <laughs> I'm just repeating what the experts are telling me. I'm surrounded by the best people. During this narration, we see blue skies and green pastures and lots of small town Americana. And it's the kind of place where kids wear overalls with one strap unclasped and they ride along in soapbox cars down Main Street past barber shops and ice cream soda fountains. And they look skyward in hopes that a team of blue collar ragtag oil drillers can blow up a giant asteroid before it destroys planet Earth. Where every gymnasium has a couple of girls sitting on the sidelines because they're already pregnant. <laughs> there's, there's cows and fields and John Deere tractors. And we get like a tour of the bridges of Hazard County. <laughs> oh my God, if Clint Eastwood showed up, was just in the background of this movie wooing Merrill Streep. Well, looks like the Duke boys are in a hurry again. How about we dance? We have a lot of seasons on the books. Okay, more seasons than we will ever get to. All right? Yeah. And the Bridges of Madison County is in at least five of them. <laughs> that is just a preview of impressions to come then. <laughs> the balladeer goes on to narrate, Yep, basically everything down here moves a little bit slower, including progressive ideas on social issues, acceptance of other cultures, the changing community demographics, and the growing demand for assimilation into a world that's not open to new ways of thinking. Everything moves slower, unless, of course, your last name is... Wait for it. Mm -hmm. Wait a little longer. Duke! And then we see the signature orange Dodge Charger fly into frame as Jerry Reed sings a cover of Guitar Man, a song that Elvis Presley made famous because he probably stole it from somebody else. And it's not bad to hear this Jerry Reed rockabilly song starting off our movie. But my question is, why doesn't the movie start with Good Old Boy by Waylon Jennings? That's what people came to hear when they wanted to see a Dukes of Hazard movie. Yeah, it's like they tease it because we're getting there, ladies and gentlemen, where we do get to the actual song but why the cock tease about like this is going to be a recurring theme of, of this episode i think of this movie wanting it both ways where it's like hey we're gonna modernize this and we're not gonna do the song right off the bat and blah 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 a few minutes later they do it anyway. i'm just glad they didn't do some hip-hop version by mc hammer or whoever the hell the 
uh, art of noise. It should be noted that the Dodge Charger is being driven by Bo Duke. And at the beginning of the film, the car is orange and it has the signature zero one on the side, but it does not. And I repeat, does not have the Confederate flag painted on the top, nor does it say General Lee across the top door frame over the window. So the Mm -hmm. absence of the signature Confederate flag on the top of the car absolves Bo Duke and Luke from immediately being viewed as racist. That's right. In the opening, I noted that this show is racist. And I want to say how I came to this conclusion. Because it's a controversial stance. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Confederate flag was a symbol used by the Confederate Army that, that seceded from the United States over the issue of slavery. Although some racist and a history teacher of ours said that it was all about states' rights. But it was about states' rights, you know, to own slaves. Right, right. Uh, you know, technicality, but you got to give give them the point on that one. And in case you just came out of a coma over the last 155 years, it's not news that the Union won the Civil War and slavery was abolished. Slavery and racism go hand in hand, and a flag used by those supporting the institution of slavery is by its very nature a racist symbol. If this was the Dukes of humbug and they drove around in a souped up volkswagen bug with a swastika on top and called their car the supreme commander hitler you would say give me out of here that Catherine bot she's got some great games no one's arguing that heritage not hate all life's better Herbie, come on now. You know that's not the point. (laughs) Bo and Luke, they're whipping around the dirt roads of Hazard County. And Bo Duke, played by Sean William Scott, he says, Hey, Luke, the general's in good shape. And it's here with this first line of dialogue from a character in this movie where we see how the filmmakers are really trying to skirt the racist foundation of the film's source material. Bo says, The general's in good shape. Not the General Lee is in good shape. And the movie, it kind of wants to have its moonshine and drink it too. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that, as we noted earlier. It, to use your Nazi reference, just calling it like, no, 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 I call him the Reichstag. It, it, the other thing... <laughs> It's just a loaded term. You can't ignore all of the infused cultural discomfort that lives in the DNA of the Dukes of Hazard. The movie, it tries to address some of this a little bit later, and we'll get to that, but you can't dismiss away this looming shadow of the racist history that is the bedrock of the TV show and this movie. I mean, I agree with you, Chad, but what's the alternative? Not make a Dukes of Hazard movie? <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> you can argue... <laughs> You can argue that the television show was kind of, as you said in the introduction, kind of unwittingly racist. It is such a product of its time. I don't know that anyone was like overtly saying, we should really promote Southern Heritage, where a movie like this is aware that the show is problematic. And just wants to be like, yeah, but we're, we're just having fun, everybody. It's, it's fine. To that end, like, Song of the South is just a musical that we're all having fun with. Luke Duke is played by Johnny Knoxville. And in this scene as they're whipping around, he says, come on, Bo, it's happy hour at the boar's nest. And we got two more deliveries to make. And we cut to a couple of crates of moonshine in the back seat. Or Bo, you know what? Maybe it's nitro. It could be nitro. This is not how you transport 
Nitro! The fact that the moonshine... I had some early predictions, because I had thought I had seen this movie, and then as I started watching, I realized, like, oh, I don't think I really have. Um, so I had some early predictions. One of my predictions was that they were going to put moonshine in the general leave for fuel at some point and that didn't happen did your early predictions include Bo and luke duke in blackface no uh or the ted danson as they call it in in hollywood <laughs> that was not on my list of predictions i got the rally stuff almost exactly right which isn't surprising like that's like saying i i finished the find a word on the denny's menu like that you predicted that in that solo movie they were gonna make the kessel run in 12 parsecs or whatever the hell that was i I bet he's gonna meet Chewbacca. <laughs> so surprised when that happened. <laughs> what? In this movie? They're gonna meet? Hey, he just put on a black vest. Oh my god, you guys! <laughs> he just said he's gonna call him Chewie. He just said, laughing up, Fuzzball! I bet that was the first time he ever said it, because he said slinging it. He speaks Wookiee. He's always spoke Wookiee. Now I know the secret origin of his ability to understand the space dog. So our two cousins. <laughs> oh, right. They're whipping around this field, and Jerry Reed's singing about being out of money and out of luck. And then, unceremoniously, Bo and Luke Duke, they pull up to this farmhouse where the farmer's daughter type character comes out, and she's wearing blue jeans, a Tiffany blue tank top, and yellow elbow link cleaning rubber gloves on each hand it is a sexy look boat and she's making meth is what you're saying <laughs> luke luke duke says hey bro i got this one. because it turns out that luke duke is going to take the moonshine into this farmhouse and while he's inside he's gonna have sex with the farmer's daughter i have to interrupt here just to point out that jonathan knoxville in this movie looks like he's 51 years old he and sean william scott seriously they both look like they're in their late 30s early 40s sean william scott at least he looks a little bit younger he you maybe 30s johnny knoxville is 43 years old if he's a day and you're like what is he climbing this ladder for to see if he can get it up long enough to fuck this girl how old is she can she buy alcohol no she's not buying alcohol is he there to buy it for <laughs> her he's delivering it in a crate hey i i've got an id look i'm old enough I'll break over the moonshine and, I don't know, maybe you just take off your top for me, sit in my lap. Hi there, I'm Chris Hansen. Would you <laughs> care to take a seat, Mr. Duke? Hey, how about I hit you in the balls with this mesa jar? I don't think that's a good idea, Mr. Duke. Uh, so you have a crate there in your hands full of clear liquid. Is that water? Hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville. I call this pedophile getaway. <laughs> But yeah, he's there to fuck this girl. Like, that's the whole thing. It's just like, you know, <laughs> hey, you wait here in the car. I'm going to go fuck this girl in her bedroom as we throw clothes out the window. So while he's up there, you know, possibly impregnating this barely legal teenager down in the car, Bo Duke pops in a cassette tape to listen to Al Unser Jr.'s audiobook called Racing Greats. And Bo Duke says to his car, listen up here, General, and learn. And the book is called No Questions, Only Unsers. That's a pretty good joke. I'm good with this joke, by the way. No, that kind of wordplay and pun shit, <laughs> I, you can just keep that. I don't even want to go down that street. And it's read by a fake Lawrence Fishburne is who they say is reading this. And it's it's like me doing Lawrence Fishburne. Keep in mind, I hadn't seen this movie before. So as I'm watching, I'm like, okay, that's at least a joke. I understand the, the premise and setup and whatnot. So maybe this movie's okay. 
Bodu gets all wrapped up in this Winston Groom inspired metaphor of how life is like a racetrack and he's just all enraptured in this audio book and then Barry Corbin aka Maurice Minifield from Northern Expo he shows up and he is the father of the farmer's daughter who's upstairs and uh, is presently getting plowed by Luke Duke he kind of bangs on the door of the General Lee and he says howdy Bo you dropping off some moonshine and then Boduk says in the movie hey man don't sneak up on a guy like that I nearly shit my myself <laughs> i don't i didn't make note of that but that sounds right like that's that's the level we're playing at the the, the line that i got from this conversation that I, I i was like what they're talking about this local race this big rally it's the hazard rally the third act of the movie right, right. and he he holds up this duck that he blew a hole through or something bo duke says <laughs> cool guns mm -hmm. and i was like what what was that a line in this movie was that in the script or was that improv while that conversation is happening this is where like truly violent sex is happening in the be upstairs bedroom behind barry corbin uh -huh. who who's just like you know i'll tell you by the way bo duke you seem like a good guy well he also says my daughter's starting to get interested in boys and you know what i think she'd like a a, a man like you a good christian man like you because earlier bo duke says that he doesn't ride alone he rides with the lord i mean jesus or something like this right and there's also a little bit of exposition where they talk about um the hazard rally and how bo duke has won it four times in the, a row and he tied the record of someone named billy cricket who is a local boy make good who went on to become a professional stock car racer that we're going to meet here in a few minutes right then about this time we hear a shotgun blast come from inside the house and i'm thinking oh my god did someone just commit suicide but it turns out no that the brother of the farmer's daughter shot at luke duke while he was fucking his sister so then uh -huh. luke duke jumps out the upstairs window falls onto the the roof over the porch tumbles down onto a picnic table and then and they jump into the general, not the General Lee. Right. And they speed away with his dick covered in sex juice with one more crate of moonshine still yet to deliver. Although you describing that, when you said it's lacking a suicide, I realized that that's really the missing ingredient to make this whole thing a Flannery O'Connor story. <laughs> When all of this action kicks in, the Allman Brothers band starts in with One Way Out. This movie soundtrack is really Southern Fried. It is the most like cock rock Southern Fried bullshit soundtrack <laughs> you've ever heard. Like, hey, any chance we could get a little ACDC on this soundtrack? Hey, got you covered, brother. You, you turn that ball cap around, get ready to throw up the devil hordes because it is shoot to thrill or nothing. About this time, Barry Corbin and his son, they jump in their pickup truck and they give chase and the sun starts loading up these whammy shells and as they're speeding along they're just blasting just indiscriminately at Bo and Luke Duke as they speed away and I didn't understand what their plan was do they want to kill these two young men and if they were to succeed what would they do with the bodies would they face criminal charges they would take the bodies to boss hog and be like all right here they are uh I'll take the five hundred dollars in twenties uh, I have someone to whom I am related. He's an older gentleman. Uh -huh. And he once told me that when he was a boy, that there was a guy where they where he lived who was thought to be a child molester. And so the community at large just got together. And as he put it, they took care of the problem. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And he just said, well, he ended up being fed to the hogs. 
cheeks. And as the blood drained from my face, and I tried not to piss myself, I thought, you know what? Living out in the country has certain rules that are very different than the ones I grew up with. Yeah, uh, that's the, what. what is that, the Red Dragon move? Yeah, everything old is new again, Bo. The first time I saw that happen on Deadwood, I was like, surely not. And then it turned out, what I learned, Chad, by uh, some quick Googling, is that feeding people to pigs is a an age-old trick tradition it's one of those things like that if that ever happened to me i've eaten enough like pork chops and sausage and shit over the course of my life Mm -hmm. that would be a bitter fucking irony if like how did how did he die like he lived consumed by pork i thought you were gonna say you've eaten enough pork that you've probably eaten a human being oh no i've definitely done that As the cars are racing around and gunshots are just being irresponsibly fired left and right, Bo and Luke Duke wager what they call a phone book that Bo Duke cannot get them out of this spot of trouble without breaking one of the remaining bottles of Uncle Jesse's moonshine that are in the back seat. And they're speeding down the road and they come across these signs that say road closed. And then back in the redneck truck, the son accidentally clocks his dad in the face with the business end of this shotgun. And Barry Corbin, who's like an old man and driving this truck, he just slumps over and he clearly appears to be dead or at least that's what i and everybody else who saw this movie and wasn't involved with the production of the film thought as this aged individual slumps over the steering wheel of this pickup truck this old man's dead yeah that's how you get a haunted movie <laughs> oh you meant the character not the actor best case scenario they might be near a hog farm they can just <laughs> drop him off a little country compost <laughs> what are we gonna tell his wife and or agent uh you want some bacon tell uh he wanted to settle down here <laughs> just decided he liked the like the area so much this son looks over at his slumped over father and he goes daddy daddy that's like a real southern thing for a grown man to call his father daddy what did you call your dad when you became a man bo um he uh, nothing even even as a teenager i did not use daddy i do find that to be a little bit childish it's an old George Carlin bit, but like, oh, I'm talking about my daddy. That is a thing that I do have this weird prejudice against when I hear somebody say it. I'm like, uh, you're probably kind of stupid. Back to our movie. The rednecks, they crash their truck because if Barry Corbin wasn't dead earlier, he certainly is now. You know, seatbelts do not seem to be encouraged in this film. I want to note that the actor who plays the son in this is Steve Lemmy, and he's part of that Broken Lizard cast of actors. We come back to Bo and Luke Duke, and they're riding in the general, and the car is speeding away, and here we get to see the very first jump of the general in the movie, and this is followed by a good old-fashioned yee-haw! Mm-hmm. And the movie finally decides to give the audiences what they want from the moment they put their asses in the seats. And it's a title shot of the signature logo for the Dukes of Hazard, And we hear Waylon Jennings singing, just a good old boy, never right. meaning no harm. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, that's why I paid $12 to see this shit on the big screen. <laughs> And, you know, once they, they land, they're still farting around on these back roads. And the balladeer comes back and is like, the Duke boys were cousins, but not the sexy kind. As soon as they start the song and you see the jump and they land and they're driving, the song just stops immediately. Yeah. And they crash their car between these two pieces of heavy machinery. And it's just like, we're really getting going. Like, no, we're not going to give you what you wanted to see in this movie. Shitheads. Right. You were stupid enough to come to this movie. They'll sit down and take your shitty movie medicine like a man you know the best thing i can say about this film is that it doesn't force us to watch any opening credits because 
during all of that earlier car chase nonsense, the movie weaves in the names of all the actors that you already knew were in the movie when you bought a ticket, as well as all the other actors and production crew that you don't recognize and don't really give a shit about. After they crash, Luke Duke says, great driving, cuz. And then Bo notices that none of the moonshine mason jars are broken. So he won the phone book bet. And then Bo and Luke, they climb out of the windows of the general because the doors are wedged shut as they have crashed them between these two pieces of heavy excavating machineries, like big cat bulldozers and like a backhoe. They go to the trunk of the car, pop open the trunk. Bo Duke says, so uh, which side do you want it on? And Luke Duke begrudgingly says, the rat. And before Luke Duke can react, Bo Duke just tattoos his cousin in the right side of his face with a phone book. And it really does feel like a scene from Jackass. Yes. This is one of those moments where it feels like Jay Chandrasekhar, I think is... I did the best I could earlier. Yeah. But it does feel like, as a director, he was just like, I don't know, do some jackass shit here. Uh-huh. And that's what came out of it. And the whole gag is, after hitting him with this big phone book, Bo Duke picks up the tray of moonshine, and as soon as he does, the bottom falls out from this crate that he's carrying, and all the moonshine shatters. Mm-hmm. Luke Duke is like, eh, I get to hit you now. Uh, he asks him which side he wants it on, and he's, he's like, oh no, left? Then he does it like an uppercut, hits him on the chin. It's a real sucker punch. And then, to add insult to injury, throws the phone book at his balls when he he collapses to the ground. It didn't get a laugh out of me, but it was like, wow. It, It was notable. It was like, man, this movie is just going for ball humor right off the bat. If I had to list the top 10 most memorable moments of seeing a film in a theater ever was the first time I saw Jackass in the theater. And I feel like that this movie just sort of like sprinkles a teeny tiny bit of that as a garnish on certain scenes. And it's not enough to carry the weight to even satisfy fans of Johnny Knoxville or Jackass in this other movie. Plus it's a made up movie and therefore not as impactful because the Jackass stuff is like, oh, these dudes are going to kill each other. (laughs) And that's part of the comedy of it is that no normal human being would put themselves through what they do. Like, nobody's going to shove a Roman candle in their ass and light it. But having somebody do it for your edification is kind of interesting. When Luke Duke throws the phone book and hits Bo Duke in the dick, Bo Duke says, oh man, right in the ball sack. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing. And then Luke picks up the only mason jar that didn't break, and he starts guzzling this homemade hooch because he's got a case of dehydration. And then Bo and Luke say that they want to race to the Boar's Nest, which is the local redneck dive bar Mm -hmm. where their cousin Daisy works. And it's five miles away, and they take off running to see who can be the first one that's going to get there. Cut to them coming around the bend all sweaty and gross. And there is no way that Luke Duke drank that much moonshine then ran five miles without having his heart grow three sizes that day and exploding (laughs) inside of his chest. Uh, You're absolutely right. When they get there, the sign outside the boar's nest reminds us that there's a rally Mm -hmm. because it's welcoming the racers. And it's like, hey, 
remember this, the third act's coming any time now. And then outside, the boys admire Billy Prickett's car, the dude from the uh, Hazard, who has gone on to be the stock car racer or whatever. Right. While they're admiring his car, Enos. Remember Enos from the television show, Chad? Enos was played by Sonny Shoyer, who was this lovable, soft-spoken, kind-hearted, just walking personification of sweetness and gentle humanity. In this movie, Enos is played by Michael Weston, who I only recognize from the TV show Six Feet Under, where he played a stranded motorist who abducts and terrorizes the younger brother David for the majority of an episode. He is a nightmare. <laughs> I know him mostly from the television program House MD, where he plays a private detective who's kind of House's buddy for a few episodes. It, honestly, it's a real disservice to the fans of the show that they took this character and just sort of turned him into this sad sack waste of a character that's only yeah. interested in looking at boobies right he is just a dupe for daisy duke that's all he is in this movie but in the show he was a really good guy who liked the dukes he was a police officer he was kind of the glue that connected the corrupt side of hazard county with the wacky shenanigans of the dukes themselves i always liked enos and when he got a spinoff i remember as a kid watching that and thinking well this is terrible <laughs> this this did not translate well at all <laughs> Enos does not belong in the big city. Unlike Babe, this pig doesn't belong in the city. I like the pig wordplay there, and you can't make me apologize for it. No. He needs to be in the country where he eats pedophiles. Luke and Bo walk into the boar's nest, and they're following Enos, and Enos says, It's not a good time to be moonshiners right now. And Luke says, why not, Enos? And Enos says, well, if I tell you, that boss hog will tan my hide. And Luke says, he spanks you? And that is as close as we get to a scripted joke in this movie. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Meanwhile, some idiot named Dill shows up at this table with a bunch of racers. Did you think it was Billy Cricket at first when you I, see at him? At first, sure. Yeah. And he starts like ogling Jessica Simpson, a.k.a. Daisy Duke. And as he's like, boy, them legs go all the way up, honey. Won't you shake them over here? And the, like all the crowd around him is like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like you are, you are about to get yourself in some serious trouble. Yeah. It's like he wants to fuck Mia Wallace. And it's like, no, of all the people in this bar that you may want to hit on, that is not the person that you want to hit on. Right. You're going to have your balls cut off by a rusty switchblade. Boss Hog asked me to come and take care of Daisy. <laughs> Take care of her? No, man. Just show her a good time. $5 milkshake. <laughs> yeah. So everybody in this dive bar, <laughs> they're all frightened of Daisy Duke. And then I just want to pause for a moment mm -hmm. and talk about Daisy Duke's accent in this film. Oof. Jessica Sampson, as Weird Al Yankovic called her, um, <laughs> she was raised in Texas. And her acting skills are so limited that she somehow manages to butcher a Southern accent having been raised in the South. It's like a weird blend of Jar Jar Binks and Forrest Gump and Blanche Dubois. I don't know what she's doing. Because when she comes over to this table of stock car rednecks, she's just like, Is you all in full to ready to make your orders? <laughs> It's a mess, man. Yeah, you're right. That is a great Jessica Simpson impression from this film. This guy deals like, so uh, I couldn't help but looking at your name tag and see that it says that your name is has double D's. Misa got big boobs. <laughs> then uh, she just karate kicks him in the chest or whatever. And she's like, how's about you try to special, sir? I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck is she doing here? She almost what? sounds a little bit like that voice that Bugs Bunny used when he dressed up 
up like a farm girl in hillbilly hair. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> he's, he, like, he starts doing that, that square dance thing. He's like, promenade around the floor, sashay out, out the door, out the door, and on the glade. And everybody <laughs> promenade. I could go on, but I won't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop on my account. I've... Step right up. You're doing fine. You pull my beard. I pull mine. Yank it out. He did before. Break it up with a tug of war. <laughs> one of my favorite Bugs Bunny cartoons of all time. Yeah. <laughs> about it's a good time. one. It's a real good one. <laughs> about this time, the real Billy Prickett shows up, which I was like, who the hell is this guy? And he's he's the, the, the real stock car driver. And he, uh, he kind of looks like that direct car insurance spokesman, J.J. Hightail. He is James Roday is the actor's name. He was the star of the television show Psych, which I've seen a bunch of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find him to be a very funny, charming guy, although only once in this movie. He at least is, having seen him perform a bunch, I can tell that he is playing this real big. Yeah. It's like, all right, you're at least I think you're in the ballpark of what this movie ought to be. I think he plays it big. I think Johnny Knoxville is having fun. I think Sean yes. William Scott is trying to do the best he can with what he's given. But it is shocking how the rest of the cast in this movie is not having fun with their characters. In fact, it almost pains them to be performing in the roles with which they were given. Especially all the villains of the film. Yes. Like MC Ganey as Roscoe. It's like Rob Zombie's Dukes of Hazard casting. <laughs> Where in this version, Roscoe is, he's a cop, but he also like raped a prisoner one time and never got prosecuted for it. I thought about it, him taking the Duke boys down to the jail, handcuffing them from the top of the cell and just beating them and blasting them with water hoses like John Rambo until they shit, piss, and vomit themselves simultaneously. Yeah, it ain't real till you see the dark blood. <laughs> Whap! Whap! Darker! Right, he's real creepy in this movie. But so James Roday strolls into the movie and he's like... Hey, how, why don't you pick on someone your own size? Uh, Bo Duke is completely starstruck by this guy. Oh, dude, he he's just like, oh my God, man, there's Billy Brigitte. Should I buy him a drink? And Luke Duke says, maybe you should buy him flowers and a box of chocolates. <laughs> yeah, and so he takes a low and brow. He buys, it gets classy and buys him a low and brow to take over to him. Billy Prickett is like, well, hey there, Bobo. <laughs> it's so nice to see you why don't you sit down he reminds everybody like you know me and bobo here why we got four wins apiece in this here hazard county rally and one more and i'm gonna prove that i'm the best driver to come out of hazard county a couple of local girls come by and he's like boys you're gonna have to excuse me i'm about to go get it wet in the bathroom Dill comes over and sits down and he says, Hey, Bo, what's a story with you and Daisy over there? You know, a little early, I don't know if you noticed or not, but she gave me a real ride. And by a ride, I mean, she knocked me down and stood on my neck with those stiletto heels. And I don't mind telling you, I'm into ball torture. And Bo's like... <laughs> Oh, hey, man, that's just my cousin, Daisy. And then this guy, Dill, says, your cousin? Are you kissing cousins? You ever, you ever shuck her corn? And there's a bunch of, like, braying and hee-hawing and knee-slapping by this group of stock car morons. And then the balladeer chimes in over this freeze frame of Bo Duke as he's getting ready to take a sip of beer. And the balladeer says, now there's just some things you don't say to a duke about another duke. 
And then the freeze frame becomes like live action. And then I'm expecting Bo to take this beer mug and just bash this guy's head in. But instead, Bo reaches down and just grabs a bowl of popcorn and tosses it on him. And he goes, I'll show you corn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a shitty way for a bar fight to start, but at least we got one going. It's a good old fashioned bar fight of just like, it is. as soon as somebody throws a punch, everybody is just bar fight. And here are a couple of things I like from this bar fight. Okay. One, uh, Daisy Duke uses pool balls and drops them into a fan like it's a pitching machine mm-hmm. to hit people, but only hit people in the face and balls. Is that how that works, Bo? Yes, 100%. This is much like Human Centipede. This is 100% scientifically accurate. <laughs> And, and just as entertaining, I would argue. So she's using the pitching machine fan. And like I said, the, the balls are, are strictly hitting people in the face or the balls. Right. There is no in-between. Leonard Skinner is singing uh, Change in the Weather, which I think is playing during most bar fights. Sure. If you don't include ones where Paul Rubens is wearing white leather platform shoes. Or just for the hell of it. There's headbutting. There's broken pool cues. I, I do like the fact that Bo Duke's main method of attack here is just strapping a helmet on and headbutting and leaping at everyone with his head first towards the end of the fight they had to have something for the playstation video game adaptation yeah that's his special move once his meter builds up you can strap on the helmet and headbutt a bar full of rednecks luke duke walks around with a copy of the atlanta phone book and a boner in his pants <laughs> right he is gonna fuck you into submission that's his special move <laughs> It's going to mount you and prove who's dominant. At one point, Luke Duke gets thrown over the bar and he crashes into this wall that's filled with sparsely filled liquor bottles. It kind of looks like Moe's Tavern. There's like a bottle of gin and half a bottle of tequila and this dust covered decanter of Jägermeister and there may be some like some pre-mixed Long Island iced tea mix. The same bottle of Tuaca <laughs> since 1983. An unopened decanter of Galliano. Yeah, like, man, every bar had like three like it was like frangelico tuaca galliano it was like you bought one bottle and that lasted you until you closed the doors on the restaurant and then you just left it behind so whoever opened the place after you didn't have to buy those three things as this melee escalates luke duke grabs a random guy and he looks over at Bo. he was like can i hit this guy because there's always a question as to whether or not he should be punching someone or not and then Bo duke says yeah kill them all And I'm like, whoa, Bo Duke might not be all right in the head in this movie. He's clearly got real intimate, probably physical attachments to his car. He admits it. He talks about it explicitly. Later, he talks about how he's going to fuck his car, but he just really seems more like this dim-witted maniac with very little regard for human life. If this movie were made in the 70s, he would have been a guy who came back different from Vietnam. (laughs) this bar fight ends the way all bar fights ends when a single gunshot is fired into the air by roscoe p coltrane who stops everybody except for boduke who has one more jump and lands on the floor like he failed at crowd surfing yeah roscoe coltrane kind of corners the duke boys and he says i heard there was a run-in with some construction boys doesn't sound like the general lee is gonna be in any shape to race Mm -hmm. before they can get into a fight we have the first use of daisy duke's boobs as a weapon in this movie Mm -hmm. where she just presents them to roscoe p coltrane who is like boing and (laughs) 
then she's like, I'm going to take these boys to Cooters. Or He's like, all right, just let me look at your tits for a little bit longer. And then off they go. And as they leave, Boss Hog rolls in. And we get our first glimpse of the majestic Burt Reynolds. His Boss Hog has nothing in common with the TV show's Boss Hog. He's just Boss Burt Reynolds. He, he does. He is doing nothing <laughs> right. but collecting a paycheck in this film. He is arguably non-existent in this film. He's just showing up being Burt Reynolds. And as he wanders into the boar's nest, he sees that, like, you know, everything is all smashed up and destroyed. And he uh, walks over to Roscoe and he's like, hey, there are... Uh, Hey there, Roscoe. I uh, I see you redecorated. You uh, turned the tables upside down and uh, threw the chairs all over the place. It's funny because uh, it's not how you normally find tables and chairs. They're normally upright. These are uh, upside down. Did you notice I'm wearing a big oversized white cowboy hat? It's funny because it's uh, larger than a normal sized cowboy hat. Who caused all this damage to the boar's nest? Well, uh, the Duke boys did, sir. Mm, Duke boys, huh? Uh, I, uh, I've uh, got some real important things coming up this weekend. I need you to uh, take care of them. And uh, when I say take care of them, it's uh, not like uh, you would think with Mia Wallace earlier. Um, I actually mean that I want you to murder them. So, uh, somebody get me a Diablo sandwich and a Dr. Pepper. I gotta take a shit in the little bird's room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, he is so flat in this movie. It's really depressing to watch him because th- there's maybe one moment where you see a little spark of the old Burt Reynolds, but for the most part, it is just him sleepwalking through this movie and just, eh, what happened here? Bar fight. And that's it. He's terrible in this. And I love Burt Reynolds. Look, I'm as big a defender as Sharky's Machine ever had. This is a movie where he just clearly, like you said, he's just, he's, he's punching a clock he's getting the paycheck but you and i paid 99 cents each Uh to see cop and a half in the theater yeah it's overpaid yeah you know what so if anybody doesn't think that we're not reynoldsites the number of times i've seen the original longest yard alone should give it should put all questions to rest (laughs) love that movie it's a brilliant film Let's cut to Cooter's Garage. Right, as played by David Koechner, which is a terrible bit of casting, if you ask me. You think he got this role because he was champ in that first Anchorman movie? Of course. This whole movie is who's kind of hot comedically at the time. It's amazing how embarrassingly bad this movie fails. Yeah, I mean, it seems so easy on paper. And in fact, I would argue that the basic plot of this movie feels like the basic plot of an episode of Shitty's 1970s slash 80s television Mm -hmm. like the whole plot is very dumb but i like that about it it just gets lost in all the other bullshit it's no fun right and keckner does nothing with this role and but honestly there's nothing that he can do with what he's given they bring the general lee there because there's this whole bit of business with the construction crew who have put an axe through the windshield it's destroyed shit on the dashboard a la christine cooter is like like oh and also here's this like skinned raccoon or something do you think that they found a dead raccoon at the construction site and put it in the car or did they actively kill a raccoon to have something to put in the car i think they sacrificed the raccoon and that's how you get a christine Really, all that Cooter has to do, we don't see this because it all happens off screen. What happens is they leave and Cooter just stands in front of the General Lee and says, <laughs> Show me. <laughs> Yeah, just wah, 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 like works itself out. <laughs> Confederate flag appears of its own volition on the roof of the car as <laughs> as it is truly possessed by the spirit of General Robert E. Lee. <laughs> 
If that had been the movie, John Carpenter's The Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> well, I'm really, I'm really worried about Luke. He's been acting really strange lately. What with, what with wanting to own slaves and invade the North? I think this car has a bad influence on him. My brother owned this car when he was younger. Bad behavior, burn books, burn crosses. The car made him do. Terrible, terrible things. <laughs> they bunch of abolitionists want to get rid of slavery. Shitters. It's what generally you talk about all the time. All those shitters in the North. <laughs> John Carpenter's The Dukes of Hazard. Oh, we can only dream. <laughs> oh, man, what a much better movie. We need to get this man out of retirement. <laughs> the sequel to Christine that no one knew they needed. <laughs> They've already got the soundtrack for it. No shit. <laughs> Bo Duke looks over at Cooter, and because Bo's the stupid one, he goes, "You think you can fix this by Saturday?" And Cooter's like, "No. Did you look at this car? Everything about this is just destroyed. It took a PhD level of engineering just to get it back to my garage. Frank. We had to rouse up some sort of community support and volunteerism, normally reserved for rescuing a child that fell down the grease trap at a Sonic drive-in, just to get it up on my truck. No, I can't fix it. Seventeen percent of your car is between here and where I got it." <laughs> Cooter actually says, yeah, I can fix it. Yeah, just, uh, y'all can take my truck. Before Daisy, Luke, and Bo can all leave, Bo just reaches over and grabs this rack of machine parts with both of his hands, and he just has this fit of rage, shaking this metal shelving and screaming out this barbaric yawp that would make Robin Williams proud. It's just, <laughs> Yeah, unscripted, all improv. Well, that's why you pay Sean Williams Scott to be in your movie. I make Stifler dollars. <laughs> And I don't get the Stifler money because I won't put a little English on a scene. That uh, SWS magic. We cut to the Duke farm where the balladeer introduces us to Jesse L. Duke, who's been to two places in his whole life. Hazard County and Korea. And as far as he's concerned, that's one too many. And this implies that Uncle Jesse went to Korea to fight in the Korean War, but maybe he just went there on vacation, had a bad time, came home and cooled his jets in Hazard County. Or went to Korea and was like, God damn it, I gotta go back. <laughs> this place is magical. And he just keeps going back and forth to these two locations over and over again. He summers in Korea. Now blew all his money for the, the one trip and now just spends the rest of his life hating Hazard County. Do they live in a city or are they just out in unincorporated Hazard County? county i think it's just a county i think there's probably a county seat of some sort i don't know how rural government works i don't know how any government works uncle jesse is played by willie nelson and he kind of wanders through the farmhouse looking for daisy duke and he calls out he says daisy daisy where are you daisy i'm calling you and then daisy calls back i said in the shower uncle jesse and then uncle jesse says Ready or not, here I come. And Uncle Jesse goes in the bathroom, and we get a silhouette of Daisy Duke in the shower, and we think she's naked. But then Uncle Jesse snatches back the curtain, and it turns out that she's standing in the bathtub fully clothed. And behind the bathtub is a secret door hiding their moonshine still. And Uncle Jesse says, how is my moonshine still it's making illegal liquor for us to sell and daisy says uh i fixed the vapor collar and the boiler is still low all of this is like code for 
I turned it on because she didn't fix <laughs> shit on this still. It's probably not even an operating still. It's probably just like an old hot water heater with pipe cleaners bound together and like a speaking spell slapped to the front so that she has somebody to talk to that doesn't make her feel stupid. This is not the first farmhouse that's been on this site. They have burned at least two down. Through just drunken, irresponsible behavior in making this still. Speaking of which, Bo and Luke, they're out in the backyard shooting a compound bow and arrow, and their targets are red gasoline cans, and they're lighting the tip of the arrow, and Bo shoots it, and it hits this gasoline can and just explodes into a fireball as it sits on top of a hay bale. And it, first off, it looks like an amazing amount of fun. It truly does. But it also looks like the kind of activity that could clearly cause a brush fire that would spread to nearby properties cities even adjacent counties uh just one quick note for our listeners here chad um you are at the moment in the show where you have Bo talking about Bo using a bow that is of course pick six yahtzee well done listeners (laughs) uncle jesse wanders up and he says all right boys knock off the grab ass (laughs) <laughs> I really like how you blow up all that shit. <laughs> and Uncle Jesse, he starts doing a little RFD comedy jam stand up. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a bullshit joke about a guy carrying a grandfather clock into a bar and he's drunk or something. There's one about how if you give politicians Viagra, it makes them bigger, I guess, because politicians are dicks. Michael, what about female politicians? I don't understand how all this works. And then finally, Uncle Jesse says, How many dukes does it take to screw up a moonshine delivery? And before Luke Duke can apologize, Bo Duke, he lights another arrow and blows up a gas can and he screams out, Boom shakalaka! Right. Again, not scripted. Bo Duke in this is a watered-down Charlie Day. He is the wild card that at any moment could just walk into frame carrying a 2x4 filled with rusty nails that are covered in rat fur and dripping blood. And is also illiterate. Oh, he can't read at all. No, 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 no. Well, as we'll see later in the film. But yeah, so while they're fucking around, Roscoe P. Coltrane shows up and says, you got moonshine in your barn. And Willie Nelson is like, that's a load of horse shit. <laughs> and then it turns out that there is moonshine in the barn. And Uncle Jesse says, you know, you planted that, you filthy pig. And Roscoe says, well, I could seize the property because you guys were running a still here. And Uncle Jesse says, only way I'm going to leave this far is in a wooden box. I'm implying that I'm going to be dead. You're going to have to kill me to get me off my farm. And I'm taking you sons of bitches with me. <laughs> this will be way worse than Ruby Ridge. It'll make Waco look like a daycare. This farm is a sovereign. Hold on. This farm is a sovereign land. I haven't been stockpiling these guns for no reason. I'm expecting an incursion, and I promise you, I'll take you bastards with us all. I know where my soul's going when I die. (laughs) Do any of you? I don't think you do. There's landmines everywhere. You want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. <laughs> About this time, boss Burt Reynolds, he shows up with four more deputies, by the way, none of which are Enos. And boss Burt Reynolds says, he's like, hey, my, my. hey there, Dukes. Looks like you uh, you got yourself a uh, moonshine still. And um, so um, uh, 
I'm going to take this farm and uh, Sheriff Roscoe, he's my, uh, he's my dog and he's, um, he's not bad fat. So you see, if, uh, well, I'm going to turn him loose on you and uh, he's going to eat you. So uh, farm's mine and um, you got to leave now. <laughs> yeah. They end up at Pauline's, AKA Wonder Woman's. Here, <laughs> Uncle Jesse says, I left three toes in Korea. But none of them were mine. When you heard he left three toes, what was your interpretation of that? Was it three toes off one foot, two toes off one foot, one toe off the other foot? Or as you postulate, they were three toes that he collected from someone else and he just accidentally left them there. They were trophies of my kills. I wore around my neck. In Vietnam, the whole thing with ears was them ripping off me and how I collected toes. I make moonshine and I hate the government. As usual, some motherfuckers ripping off me. (laughs) Me and my toes and everywhere I go, they're trying to steal from me. They're in this farmhouse with Pauline slash Wonder Woman. They do not explain the relationship to it all. They're just like, you know, this lady is going to help us out because I got some shit on her. She's not even some of the original show. It's just like, hey, let's get Wonder Woman in our movie. Right. That's like if you just had John Boy from the Waltons as your love interest or whatever. It's just like, yeah, it was on, you know, it wasn't the same time slot. Sure. But it was the same, you know, general time period of television production daisy duke goes over to wonder woman and she says thank you for taking us in mr pauline (laughs) and then wonder woman says i don't understand how they can just take your land which daisy duke says they planted a steel in our yard finally pauline is just like whatever anyway so bill miller up the road said that boss hog seized his land too for some bullshit reason misa gonna get what huh we're gonna take her out to the barn if she keeps that up just this is my house and i have some rules then luke duke puts it together he's like hey you think that has something to do with the construction equipment that we literally ran into (laughs) at this point they're like i don't know boo how about we go take a look and off they go to investigate construction equipment and then daisy says you still know what's gonna happen these two idiots is gonna end up into the jail and i'm gonna have to shake my ass for somebody to get them out that's always what'll happen pauline's like is she hungry i don't (laughs) understand anything she's saying what is that puddle under her feet you know and what she says here like uh, without the the dumb voice but only for a second without the dumb voice basically she is saying i'm gonna have to go shake my ass at somebody and uncle jesse is like that's why we love you you're only in this movie as an object of sexuality you serve no real purpose you're mostly almost nude it's insulting on so many levels all she is 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 purely a sexual pawn to get the men of this movie out of trouble back at cooter's rebel repair that's the name of his auto shop Mm -hmm. inside cooter is working on the general and sheriff roscoe he comes in and there's a basset hound trotting along beside him now if you've never seen the tv show it's an odd thing that this dog is even in this movie and one might think that it belongs to cooter but it's not cooter's dog it's roscoe's dog and his name is flash which was a character on the tv show and one assumes that that dog was on the tv show because jerry reed had a basset hound named fred in Smokey and the bandit did that all make sense it does and there was something that uh one thing i remember well from that show is that get him flash you know is right james best doing doing his shtick and when david keckner has no shtick in this other than being creepy no and sniffing panties (laughs) yeah i mean you know even when roscoe comes in and it's just like hey we're gonna auction off the the general lee roscoe says and by the way two words for you cooter soap and water and the cooter is immediately like hmm yes 
well, <laughs> farewell, Roscoe. He picks up the phone and he's like, I've got a job for you. Yes, gentlemen, we have a target. <laughs> and and uh, whatever cadre of car repairmen that Cooter is part of, whatever network and cabal, yeah. apparently it, there is a group of mechanics that are now swinging into action. Racist mechanics. And when he pushes the phone, like the auto dial, for some reason it's like... Like, it's like this antebellum bat phone. <laughs> right the lee line he's got you covered if you gotta disappear a body he knows people that got a lot of hogs mm-hmm. uh speaking of hogs bo and luke duke are investigating boss Hogs' scheme which mm-hmm. involves some construction equipment in a fenced-in lot this is a part of the movie where it's like i kind of like this turn of the plot it feels like the show of them just doing good deed robin hood kind of shit sure of like let's go out to the the construction site and see what's up Mm-hmm. And so they break in and they see Boss Hog, aka <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Boss Burt Reynolds coming out of this trailer. And as he comes out, they kind of break in behind him. Mm-hmm. And inside, Luke Duke finds a map that has their farm highlighted along with this Miller farm that we heard about. What do you think all this means? And immediately, Boduke is just like, oh no, man, that seems like a lot of drawing. All these letters and numbers. They find a safe and Luke is like, hey, I bet there's a bunch of stuff in this safe. Let's steal it. Right. We get the balladeer here where he's like, I don't know about you, but I'd sure hate to be that safe right about now. And if you need to take a piss or make a phone call or just want to walk around the lobby and look at posters of other movies that are going to be coming out in the coming months, right now is a good time to go because we're going to waste about five minutes on a one-car chase scene that really doesn't matter to the movie at all. Speaking of, there is a security guard that chases after them after they yank this safe out uh, using Cooter's tow truck. That guy's going to lose his job. He's not very good as a security guard. He looks like David Crosby a little bit, which I like. (laughs) As all this is going on, Busted in Baylor County is performed by Shooter Jennings. Is that related to Waylon, I would assume? I hope so. Either that or it's a happy coincidence. Bo and Luke Duke, they're speeding down this paved rural road. Surprise, surprise. Your tax dollars at work. And this massive safe is just bouncing on the road behind them, just clinging and clanging attached to this chain. And it's pretty entertaining to watch this blatant disregard for human safety and public property. I mean, it's destroying mailboxes. That's a federal offense. And there are multiple crimes that are happening as you're watching this. There's breaking and entering, destruction of private property, grand theft. And it's really, like you said, a lot of fun to sort of intertwine that Robin Hood element that was really part of the original television show. It's taking out lawn animals and that kind of shit. It knocks out a lawn jockey. Take that racist lawn ornament. And then it gets stuck on this light pole. And Uh so Luke Duke gets out to free it and while Bo Duke listens to All Out of Love I'm so lost without you (laughs) he kind of yanks the safe free with Luke Duke holding onto the top of it Mm -hmm. and so now he's barreling down the road with Luke Duke on the safe as it skids along behind the car or behind the tow truck little jackass fan service there sure then the security guard gets in the way of the tow truck he's in a car to try to cut him off yeah bodu cuts the tow truck which sends the safe into this car and luke duke over the top of the car into some brush where he's fine amazingly (laughs) 
really what would happen is his spine would be driven into his shoes that security guard calls up roscoe and he's like uh you know i'm not very good at my uh my job well that happened again today at work yeah and the duke boys got boss burt reynolds safe yes he's got the safe and i'm gonna need a ride is the line which i find kind of funny roscoe then tells boss hog who's boiling crawfish mm -hmm. And he's just like, uh, what are these, uh, little lobsters? <laughs> Say they, uh, they, uh, they stole my safe. These Duke boys are a uh, real thorn in my side. They, uh, they become a pain in my ass. I'm gonna have to boil you, Roscoe. <laughs> pain in my ass. Ass. It's a funny word. Seeing as, uh, these two have committed a real crime, uh, you can actually arrest them. Put them in jail. <laughs> ass. It's a funny word. <laughs> and then Roscoe is like, I'll get him, boss. And as he leaves, for no good reason, this Basset Hound Flash is just hanging around. It's up on the bar, sniffing around yeah. the food. How the hell did it get up there? Burt Reynolds is just like, eh, dog. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. Why is this eponymous dog in every scene? Who does this belong to? Again, <laughs> if you did not know the show, you would just think this was some lucky charm. Of the director to put this dog peppered in scenes throughout the movie. We cut to Bo Duke back in the tow truck and Bo says, let's take this safe to Sheaves to see if he can open it up. And you may be wondering, who is Sheev? Well, I can tell you, it's nobody from the TV show. Mm -hmm. This is a character that is unique to this movie. Why wouldn't they just take it to Cooter? Is a real mystery to me. He seems like the logical choice to open up the safe, but then we can't have someone from the Broken Lizard stable of I need a job actors to crack open this safe. I think you're onto something here, Chad. Not since the WPA has a project employed so many out of work actors. Oh my God, it's like Grown Ups 3. <laughs> right. Sheev is played by the guy who was Parva in Super Troopers, is Kevin Heffernan. He's very funny in that movie. In this, he looks like pile from full metal jacket he's got the shaved head and the standard issue thick black rimmed glasses and that ever-present thousand yard stare and he doesn't wear pants with like loose fitting dirty underwear here's a little movie making note for those uh listeners who are making a movie have your characters wear pants not only that if you're gonna give your character a little tick like say spitting into a cup make sure that you edit your film in such a way that he doesn't do it 57 times in 14 seconds which is what happens with sheave and the cup of spit that he is spitting into at the front of this scene where every time they cut to him he's spitting into this guy roscoe shows up and is like hey sheave you seen the duke boys and hey what about that antenna that's in your head that the cia can read or whatever and he's like hey, i still got those but i ain't seen the duke boys now get out of here spit then when roscoe p coltrane leaves the freezer of this place opens up and the duke boys were assumedly hugging each other and hiding in this freezer the entire time it's like a flat storage freezer you'd keep in your garage it's not like a walk-in right like what was their conversation like while they were laying on top of each other i know what i would be asking why is there an empty running freezer in this wacko's hut well that's where you put the bodies before you go to the hog farm oh all right, well, you know, some things do have a simple answer. Sheep's Place is also a bait shop, and the walls are covered in rifle racks and guns, and there's stacked boxes of ammunition everywhere. He's going to be right there with Uncle Jesse when the government shows up. On the TV, we see Billy Prickett, our local boy turned stock car driver, and he's in a parade, and he's sitting alongside Boss Burt Reynolds, and Prickett's going on about how, I'm here to, to show what it's like to be a proud member of Hazard. I want to make Hazard great again. Boss Burt Reynolds in this TV declaration, he says, Today is Billy Prickett Day. <laughs> Prickett. That's a funny word. It's got a uh, prick right in it. <laughs>
It's like a penis. It's uh, what it brings to mind. So this guy's the only person from this one horse town that's ever made a name for himself. And then Chief says, hey, you ever seen Billy Prickett race live? You know what? That might be worth putting my pants on fur. He says that. It's enlightened, this movie. So finally, they're like, hey, let's go look at this safe. Uh huh. Sheev, as he's looking at it, they're looking at it outside, and he's got this gun that he uses to fire nets at armadillos. Jesus Christ. And they ask him why, and he says the shells are good helmets to combat the brainwave scanners. This is such a lazy, stupid movie. Luke Duke shoots Bo Duke with the net gun for goofs, because we got to pepper in a little more jackass. Sheev says he's he's going to use some expired explosions on this safe uh-huh. and this is all happening simultaneously by the way Sheev is like hey i've got this six month old uh plastique so we're going to use that and while he's explaining that bo duke is like hey i just got off the phone with cooter man everything's good with the lee and we just have to get it before roscoe can impound it uh-huh. all this is happening in between the stuff with lighting this fuse to blow the safe which they do light but it doesn't blow up the safe Right. And then Boduke and Sheev argue about Chinese fuses. Uh-huh. They use the word oriental a lot. Yeah. It's like your grandpa talking about the time that he was stationed in Japan. They're the China fuses. A lot of people call them the COVID fuses. I like to call them the Chinese fuses or the, the Kung fuses. <laughs> it's what That's what some people are calling them. And then Luke Duke just fires one of his dynamite arrows at the safe and it explodes. And so inside they find what Boss Hog has been hiding which are these core samples uh sheev points that out right because oddly enough he's the smartest of the three the man with no pants a thick warming vest no hair and an armadillo skin strapped to the top of his skull he's the smartest of the three he's the brain trust jesus christ they resolve that they're once they learn that these are core samples like soil samples they're gonna go to quote the university Uh uh-huh where katie lynn johnson a girl that bo duke used to date and luke duke has clearly fucked right like the look on his face immediately is like (laughs) yeah i should have told him and then she ends the scene by saying all right i'm gonna go wash my mongoose and that's the the joke is that his dick i was gonna ask you cut to bo and luke duke they head over to this scrapyard where the general now we will refer to as the general lee is in tip-top form there's a new body a new engine and cooter says every weekend me and my civil war reenactment buddies we get together and we lose the war we thought why not let the general lee win one for once and i'm like oh fuck (laughs) i know it's then chad he says to Bo Duke, who, who says like, hey man, you fixed up the car. How can I ever repay you? And he says, how about some of Daisy's shorts? He, well, he says, is Daisy single? And then Luke says, yeah, that's not going to happen. And then Cooter offers up his second proposition. How about a pair of them shorts? And then Bo, he gives it a double sniff, a real... <laughs> Yeah. It's vile. It is truly stunning. Was that in the script? Give me a pair of your cousin's soiled, cut-off denim shorts, and we'll call it even, because I'm going to sniff them for personal pleasure. The fuck is wrong with people? (laughs) I would say that's the only thing that would classify as a joke that was in the actual script. Given the way that they treat this Daisy Duke character in general, absolutely this was in the script. Sheriff Roscoe shows up because he's going to impound the General Lee and they got to bust the hell out of this 
scrapyard. And about this time, Mississippi Queen, as performed by Mountain, starts. And Bo and Luke, they jump in the car and they speed off in this newly refurbished General Lee with the name The General Lee painted across the top of the door frame. It is now the car from the television show in all its glory. Good God. And And they just kind of drive off and it turns out that Cooter and I guess his buddies secretly flatten the, the cop's tires. Oh, I thought you were going to say that they changed out the horn so that when they hit it, it plays the signature one gag i do kind of like in this movie is how the more it's played the less pleased luke duke seems about the horn Uh uh-huh and i think that may just be a johnny knoxville performance especially that last time you hear it when he kind of gives that wince like i don't know man Uh, that seems like a lot this is the scene where bo duke says i'm never gonna leave this car i'm gonna eat in it i'm gonna live in it i'm gonna make sweet love to it and luke duke says you mean you're gonna make love love in it and Bowduk looks at his cousin and says no i'm gonna have sex with this car yeah yeah he's trying to make a transformer jad which is my theory of how the transformers got started he think it was just like somebody fucking a car right science chad and so we see the duke boys then stuck in accurate atlanta traffic in my experience where they aren't going nowhere <laughs> Nope. And so Bo Duke is resolving to woo Katie Johnson or whatever. Uh-huh. And as they're being passed by cars, you get the basically two reactions to their car. Uh-huh. It's either rednecks leaning out the window going, yeah! Or it's somebody flipping them off and being like, you fucking redneck pieces of shit. This is the part of the movie where they really address the elephant in the room. They acknowledge there's an elephant. They don't address the elephant. It's like they went to every guest in the room room and, and went you're aware there's an elephant right we're not going to talk to him we're, we're if we don't look at him he'll go away when they're sitting in this traffic the first person who pulls by their car is in this 18 wheeler and he just screams out yeah baby southern by the grace of god yeehaw yeah and then this other car pulls up on the other side of the car and a young black woman she says are you late for a clan meeting asshole and bo duke's like totally confused well more confused than he normally is he's like clan meeting and then as the cars move forward another white guy in a conversion van he pulls up alongside bo duke's side and he's like don't listen to her the south will rise again and then on the flip side a soccer mom pulls up on luke duke's side of the car and she says nice roof redneck join us in the 21st century and she double barrels luke duke with two of the best on-screen middle fingers ever featured on a pick six movies episode it's a good middle finger or pair of them it's fantastic so about this time bo and luke they pop out of their car to inspect the roof and they see that the confederate flag is painted across the top of their car so cooter and his friends are the ones responsible for the general lee being given that name and its signature confederate flag that's right canon wise yes that seems like a real deflection on the part of the filmmakers it's like oh bo and luke they're not racist bigots stuck in a bygone era it's their mechanic who likes to sniff women's soiled undergarments he's the real creep of our movie the pervert friend is really the racist right again this is a situation where the movie wants to have it both ways where it doesn't want to actually acknowledge the racist roots of the confederate flag other than to say there are racist roots to the confederate flag 
flag and that hey these guys hey they don't know they don't know nothing from racism these are just good old boys right they don't mean no harm they're never going to apologize that it's there like there's no at no point in the movie are they like oh no i'm sorry that we did not put that there that was a racist guy that was working on our car we did not know no they're just like can you believe these people are freaking out like this it's just a a lazy way of handling the issue and honestly i think the way to handle the issue is just to not have had the confederate flag at all and just never just have the orange roof and if you're doing press for this movie and somebody is like hey why did you change the look of the car because it had a fucking confederate flag on the top of it are you crazy what kind of question is that of course we had to change it it's 2005 we cut to the sheriff's office in hazard county and daisy shows up and she sashays in wearing this dark-haired wig and a cowboy hat and these tcb brand gold sunglasses and some daisy dukes i'm sure and it's not the most incognito appearance that you've ever seen if you ask me and daisy duke she walks up to enos remember him he's one of the many deputies in this movie and she goes over and she says well he said that enos what's the boss of Burr Reynolds up to? And Ina says, I can't tell you. And then Billy Prickett shows up to talk with Burt Reynolds and Daisy Duke, she sneaks around back and eavesdrops on boss Burt Reynolds saying, so I'm uh, Billy Prickett. Meh, name still cracks me up funny. Hey, listen, if, um, if, you, uh, if you win the race tomorrow and uh, I need you to keep all these hayseeds busy for like uh, two hours because um, I need you to definitely keep them away from the courthouse for um, you know time period. And uh, Prickett, it's a funny name. What's your middle name? I got a big. <laughs> Just came up with that. Uh, see my cowboy hat? It's a funny hat. Th- this is a real reverse stroker ace where now Bill uh, Burt Reynolds has become the man who is <laughs> dictating what goes on Billy Prickett's car. When I heard that Burt Reynolds was cast in this role, I thought that was a clever juxtaposition of him being the original Southern outlaw and now being the Jackie Gleason-ish character in this movie. Yeah. And I thought that he would be bigger and over the top and more sinister and would be able to wink at the camera and, you know, the audience be like, oh, I get it. You're just having fun in the maturation of your career but none of that shit happened he just sort of walks under the camera like so um uh, stand here all right yeah and um that's it that's a day all right what uh what do i have to do in this scene uh a lot of exposition huh uh let me flip through it here uh cricket uh does what he's told uh some sponsors uh I think we're done here. (laughs) That's it. One thing I I do like about this, it's one of my genuine laughs in this movie, is when Billy Prickett is saying like, hey, I can't let you put your face on my car. Uh, I have sponsors like Castro Oil and Yahoo. And the way he says Yahoo (laughs) instead of Yahoo as a sponsor really makes me laugh. Again, it's just an actor doing whatever the fuck he can with a part. And I find that to be pretty funny. But Boss Hog says, uh, uh, look, uh, I mean, uh, see what's at the end of this scene. Uh, I don't need you to win the race. I, uh, just need you to run it. And, uh, I think that's lunch. (laughs) Daisy Duke catches Prickett on his way out and she uses her booby magic and kind of flashes her tits at him. Uh-huh. And it, she's like, uh, how come you sir, need to be in Boss Hog's race? He's like, huh. well, you know, darling, it's for charity. And she's like, Misa better tell the boys. <laughs> and then takes off running. 
And then we cut back to the Duke boys who are looking very uncomfortable on the campus of a place of higher learning. Uh Uh-huh. Just grimacing their way across campus. They pass, here's an enlightened joke, they pass a bunch of girls who are flirting with them. 18 to 22 year olds who are clearly looking to hook up with a 38 to 47 year old. Right, yeah, they're looking for a daddy, boo. <laughs> they pass these girls, they kind of flirt with them. And then a guy passes by. They're like, nah, nah, nah. Mm-hmm. college is crazy. <laughs> that might be a gay person. Oh, yeah. Idiots. So they they go to this sorority because it turns out that Katie, as you might have assumed, is not an instructor as befitting their age. She <laughs> is instead... <laughs> <laughs> a sorority girl who just happens to be going to college that they know she'll have all the answers she's smart and so they go through this sorority house looking for her, and every time they open the door it's like the first two minutes of every Pornhub video where sometimes there there are a bunch of girls about to foxy box uh-huh and sometimes they open a door and it's a bunch of girls pillow fighting or smoking dope right like they go hang out with the the girls smoking weed for a little while and they're all in their panties and underwear Every time a door opens, it's panties and underwear. And as you said, it's foxy boxing. It's smoking dope. It's, you know, they're giving each other oil massages. It's insultingly stupid. And so when they come out of the pot room, they accidentally run into... Katie Johnson, who is not wearing panties in her bra. She's instead (laughs) wearing a towel because she's fresh from the shower. And she's happy to see these two old idiots in her sorority house. Uh, Do you recognize this actress, Chad? I do, yes. Most recently... Speaking of panties... As the girl using herself as a wager. Mm Mm-hmm. In Tokyo Drift. Oh, yeah. She is so pretty. Katie Johnson in her towel. She also has a roommate who's in her towel because that's how roommates in sorority houses shower together at the same time. Yeah, remember when we roomed together, Chad? We always showered together to mm-hmm. cut down on the water bill? Yes. Uh, and also because of the fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Katie Johnson says, hey boys, why don't y'all let us get dressed and we'll take you twos over to the geology lab. And so Bo and Luke and Katie Johnson, and she has a roommate who is from Australia. They're on their way over to the geology lab and then they get pulled over by campus security going eight miles per hour in a 10 mile per hour speed zone. This is completely a scene from Super Troopers. It is them being like playing the same roles like the guys from broken lizard playing the campus cops it is a hundred percent the same scene. bow and luke they just speed off when they hear that these two officers are campus security because i don't understand that they broke any law i don't know again unless they're just sort of giving more people from broken lizard opportunities to be in this movie and get a paycheck i don't know why this scene is here it's because in super troopers there was a gag where the cops pulled over a car for no good reason uh-huh. just to fuck with them uh-huh. and so this scene is that only instead of being fucked with the Duke boys just drive away oh it's the most self-referential head up its ass moment in this movie like you have to have seen another obscure cult movie for this movie to make sense or for this scene to make sense moving along yes yeah, we arrive at the geology lab and Bo Duke, he grabs a car cover from a nearby different car and he drapes it over the General Lee. And then Bo Duke leans down and he starts talking to his car and he says, I know it's terrible to hide your beauty. Wait, what? Oh, I know. I'll miss you too. <laughs> this is a mentally unstable human being. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. To your point, Chad, once they get into this college building of undescribed nature, they steal a pair of lab coats so they can hoodwink a guy named Royce into testing their core samples that they brought by posing as members of the Kasawa Corporation and saying that they're going to give this dude a job, but their name tags have Japanese names on them. And so the guy, Royce, is the fella's name that they're hoodwinking. He's a broken lizard dude, too. Yeah. And he's like, hey, so you're Mr. Takahashi? And uh, which, by the way, is not his name. That was the guy from Die Hard. Right. But doesn't matter. While they're duping him, Katie Johnson is giving Luke Duke the fuck eyes. Uh huh. And so Bo Duke sees the fuck eyes pass between them and then takes like a burner to set Luke's ass on fire. Right. And then to retaliate, Luke Duke puts Bo Duke's lab coat in some kind of press or something that jerks the coat right off of him. Which produces a bunch of soot which coughs out onto their faces, resulting in Bo and Luke Duke being in blackface and so as if that's not the craziest thing to happen in this scene this is the point where this royce guy is like oh by the way it turns out that this stuff is coal Mm -hmm. they're like coal well what does that mean and he's like well coal is a fuel that we use to burn to create energy and they're like energy explain he's like well energy is what makes things go like your car and they're like well what will it do to our town and then he shows them pictures from avatar yeah where he's like here's a town before coal mining it's just like a beautiful farmland and he's like and here's after and it's just a clip from the movie 2012 with the earth erupting into lava and magma and shit and they're like oh my god we gotta stop this we can't let hazard county look like that it can't turn into the other part of the matrix that nobody likes and then the australian girl pokes her head in and is like your plane is ready shrimp on the bobby tut tut they're like all right well we got to get out of here you got the job and they run out of the room just ahead of the campus cops who run in and say like hey where are those duke boys the rice guy's like you mean those japanese guys and it's all very funny it's horrible it's really bad when blackface showed up i was like i'm turning this off i don't care how this ends i can't show this to my child it's really shocking and the fact that nobody comments on it initially at no point are they like hey it'd be one thing if they did like the disney movie style hey it coughed out a bunch of shit on their face and then they wipe it off and like oh we got a bunch of dirt on our face oh no 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 we're gonna ratchet this up in about six seconds (laughs) right so they all leave and then Bo and luke and their two lady friends they call up uncle jesse on a flip phone and uncle jesse says strip mine hazard that boss burt reynolds he is a real slimy bastard here's another nugget for you boss burt reynolds is paying cricket to race on saturday And then Bo and Luke and Katie Johnson and this Australian roommate, they were like, hey, we got to get back to Hazard. So the movie decides here that we are going to double down on how we're going to address the racism that is infused into this film. Oh, it's so bad, Chad. It's not worse than Wild Wild West. It's close. It's basically a bunch of black guys who see the car and also see them in blackface. And they're like, hey, we're about to beat the shit out of you guys. And Luke Duke at one point says, I prefer to be called an Appalachian American. And you're like, oh, just stop. Stop all of this. One of the black guys 
they're all standing out in front of this pool hall. And he looks at them and he says, oh, I get it. You must be on one of those reality shows called Who Wants to Get Their Ass Kicked? Which, Bo, I don't normally watch reality TV, but I'd watch a show with that title. Oh, 100%. This black guy says, why don't you two hillbillies join us here for a minute? And then Luke Duke, this is where he says we want to be called Appalachian Americans. The leader of this group, he then says, man, get out of the car. That's what Bo and Luke Duke do. Why don't they just drive off? Right. Get the fuck out of there, man. Like, you you got a bum deal with Cooter. He put a Confederate flag on your car and made you marked men. And by your own incompetence, you're covered in blackface. Right. You're a real victim of circumstance. And when they ask, like, hey, who's the, the Michelangelo who put this on your roof? They point at each other. because they So they understand the shame of the symbol. <laughs> it's not as if they're, like, ignorant to the fact that a Confederate flag is an awful thing to put on your car. Uh-huh. Some cops show up, which is a real, like, oh, good. It's two black cops, which I'm not saying having two black cops in Atlanta would be uncommon. It's not. But it's bullshit in this movie because if it had been two white cops showing up with a group of... Of black men somehow confronting these two white guys in a orange dodge charger with the confederate flag on top people would have burned down the movie theater rightfully so yeah. like, what in the fuck is going on here but the message you're sending like oh because they're black we're not gonna get justice is also equally problematic <laughs> let's just get away from it let's get out of here fuck this movie and all the white assholes in it yeah so we cut to them in jail because campus security called the cops on the for what for driving too slow right for posing as scientists i suppose you thought we were done with all the racism we're just getting warmed up so luke duke is asking one of the guards while they're in jail he wants to call a lawyer and while they're being like why are you holding us in the first place and then out of nowhere boss burt reynolds just comes strolling out of the shadows as just uh waiting for a dramatic entrance there um <laughs> look uh Here's the whole plan. Uh, there's some coal mining, and uh, I uh, put together this race, so uh, no one's going to be there at a hearing, and uh, you guys are uh, going off to a work farm. <laughs> going to strip mine, Hazard County. <laughs> strip. That's a funny word. Made a movie once with uh, Demi Moore. She was a stripper. Movie was called uh, Strip Tease. Did you ever see that movie? I had Vaseline in my boots when I walked around. Squished my toes. <laughs> Very famously had a boob job for that. I got a pretty good look at him <laughs> Bo and luke are in jail a black man who was not part of the crew earlier he calls out to burt reynolds basically because burt reynolds is wearing this signature all-white suit and he says that burt reynolds looks like a pimp and boss burt reynolds he's having none of this yes and i'm like dude first off you should learn to take a comp and then uh boss burt reynolds he tells Bo and luke he's like so i'm a uh, since you're in jail and i'm the bad guy and i've uh, told you my whole uh, diabolical plan i'm uh, gonna hold this hearing tomorrow and uh nobody shows up nobody objects then i can strip mine the whole county pretty good plan <laughs> and uh you guys are going to be here in atlanta in jail it's kind of my plan i got billy prickett to come in to be a distraction and um I used to date uh dinah shore back in the day <laughs> lovely woman funny thing about dinah shore she always uh she always farted when we had sex she just couldn't hold him in <laughs> sex farts it's funny sound sex farts <laughs> she uh she does uh, sit on top of me and uh she called it uh top dusting <laughs> That's a cut, people. That's a wrap. I think the movie's done. Uh, actually, Bert, uh, you didn't actually uh, say any of the lines from the script. Yeah, I know that. Didn't even read the script. Didn't even uh, didn't even bother to. Uh, should be glad I even showed up at all. Can uh, you know what you need? You need some of that uh, some of that CGI. 
CGI and um, ah, just voice it over. When I read the character's name was uh, Boss Fog, I uh, I assumed it was all CGI. Am I a mist that drifts around? Is that what's going on here? The black man who told Boss Burt Reynolds that he looks like a pimp, he says, Yo, you need to pop a feather in that hat. Then your man hose will be having more respect for you. Does this guy think that Bo and Luke Duke are male prostitutes? Everybody's talking <laughs> at me. <laughs> <laughs> because this movie hasn't made any member of the audience uncomfortable by inelegantly addressing race-related issues in the last two minutes. Boss Burt Reynolds says, I'm, uh, I got uh, $500 for the first one of you who knocks out this loudmouth son of a bitch. This white guy in the jail punches the black guy in the face, who basically was offering tips to Boss Burt Reynolds on how to be a better pimp. The black guy is now rendered unconscious. First of all, Chad, it was $100, not $500, and it's the reason I carry a $100 bill wherever I go. Are you sure? I'm positive, because I made a note of like, yes, that's why I have one sewn into my collar, just in case I'm ever in a situation where I'm on the other side of bars, and I can be like, hey, I'll uh, give you $100 to, I don't know, yank down the that guy's pants are you sure that it's it was just a hundred bucks i'm reasonably certain i gotta admit chad this is like an hour into the movie and my give a shit was pretty low all right but i i think it was maybe i'm confusing that to the time when i was in jail <laughs> yeah and someone came in and offered money to knock out another guy it'll happen if you go to jail enough times it's it's not an if it's a win <laughs> everybody's got a side hustle i just get arrested and go to jail and punch people for money i'm a plant for local attorneys <laughs> where i get myself arrested on a friday i scope out potential clients over the weekend in the tank starring william h macy in <laughs> take this <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just feel like you're not paying me enough money for the kind of work I'm doing here. I'm spending all weekend in jail. Ow! All right, look. Look, nobody's saying I don't want the job. Of course I want the job. I'll do it for half price. Ah, jeez. If only I could find a drug addict prostitute with a heart of gold. Who's that? I didn't even want to make this movie. Unfortunately, Felicity's got some <laughs> legal expenses of her own. <laughs> So the next day, Bo and Luke Duke are being transported to the work farm or some shit. The big house? Yeah. And the cops that they're with, they start basically calling him chicken. They're like, hey, you could never catch us if we were in our car. The one driving the cop car is a fat white cop with a big bushy mustache. Uh -huh. And then his partner is a thin black officer with a pencil thin mustache. Right. That's how you can tell them apart. Right. The size of the mustaches. That's what I meant. <laughs> As they're kind of goading this fat cop, he's like, ah, oh, we could we could definitely catch you in this. This is a real machine. And then out of the corner of his eye, he sees Jessica Simpson all bent over a jeep hood uh -huh. as if she needs mechanical help. And he just immediately runs into a car in front of him. He causes a crash in his patrol car, ogling this woman. I mean, who hasn't been there, but this is you know <laughs> uh, a matter of the police they go to ask her what what they can do to help and she's like um misa had something bounce up in the undercarriage and the is that a sexual metaphor or does she just not understand the basic mechanics of how a car works of course it is everything that comes out of her mouth is basically like i'm talking about my asshole and the fat cop is like i'd love to take a look at your undercarriage meanwhile the black cop he's cleaning up the mess of the wreck cleaning up the mess he's writing a ticket to the dude they ran into who is rightfully like hey you fucking cops ran into me and they're like shut up shutting up yeah and just write a ticket to him and tell him to beat it 
Hey, he's cleaning up the mess. While he's doing that, Daisy Duke realizes that not everyone is in her siren spell. Not yet. So she kind of flashes her tits at the black cop, and he's like, boing, and sees her boobs, and he gets hypnotized as well. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Misa, think you need to get under the undercarriage too. Yes, ma'am. And so he and the fat cop are just kind of looking under the Jeep to see what's going on. When she says this to the black officer, he kind of leans in and sniffs her clothes yeah what's up with all the sniffing of clothing in this movie she starts up the jeep and gets in and drives away and she's like misa see you later boys thank you steady muchies <laughs> yeah they're like hey man i was about to fuck her the other one's like oh, i was about to fuck her but i but you they realize that the duke boys have been sprung from the back of the police car they're gonna lose their jobs man <laughs> You don't just lose two prisoners and you're just like, wow, we each get one a year, so we gotta be on our best behavior. Well, let's just tell them they died and we fed them to pigs. At least it's believable. About this time, the Duke boys show up with Katie Johnson and the Australian roommate in the back seat. Wait, also, have those girls been there the whole time? Was the car impounded briefly? And then they just left the girls there? Did they throw some kibble in the back seat overnight? Like, why are these girls even in this movie? We got the information we needed. Because it's a poorly made film? Because the director was trying to have sex with one of them? I I don't know. So the general Lee pulls up beside these cops who are about to get fired fired Mm -hmm. and they just toss the handcuffs at him and luke duke jiggles the the patrol car keys he's like hey hey, look at what i got boys and they take off well he tosses the keys over at the cops for them to chase them right i find johnny knoxville very charming and when he tosses the keys at the cops and then puts his hand over his lips in kind of a oopsie fashion yeah i found it very funny we all have our yahoo moments in this movie where a particular actor will will get will tickle you then a car chase happens the one thing we get out of this is that katie johnson is like this reminds me of the times that me and you used to climb up in the hayloft of your barn luke and he's like xa on the Uckfay. all to the sounds of highway to hell by acdc bodu gets pissed like he just gets real dark speaking of pile for a full metal jacket yeah it's just like this was supposed to be my time we're all going to hell tonight. Uh-huh. The Australian chick says, I'm going to Chunda. And then they Tokyo Drift for a little while. Yeah, we learned that Skeev, the armadillo hat-wearing guy who doesn't like pants, that he once got caught drinking out of the girls' bathroom toilets. Who wrote this movie? The guy who drank out of the women's bathroom toilets. He's trying to normalize it. What do you think? It's weird. People in Hollywood do it. You're the weirdo. Wait till I put this in my movie and all the people say, yeah, I do that too. I'm not the only one, Terry. So during this scene, Bo is upset that Luke previously had sex with Katie Johnson and the Australian girl's going to throw up and they want Luke to apologize to Bo and he's not going to do it. And one thing leads to another. And the whole chase scene is really punctuated with a pretty impressive jump of the General Lee up into the air onto the interstate in Atlanta. And it's a pretty good jump. It's not, you know, gone in 60 seconds good. I'm referring to the original, but it's a pretty good practical jump like the final jump of this film which looks like horseshit a la gone in 60 seconds with Nicolas cage there are some genuinely good car stunts in this movie and towards the end of the movie too i would argue that the actual car stunts whoever is doing you know whatever stunt choreography for these race sequences mm-hmm. is what pr- probably gave a shit more than anybody else in, in absolutely even the, during this chase sequence where they're in 
in downtown Atlanta whipping around. They're trying to do the best with what they can. In fact, I wish the movie had had more of that and less of this other cockamamie bullshit that they present. I agree that there is far too much cockamamie bullshit in this movie uh, per capita. After this impressive jump, the chase scene ends and Luke has apologized to Bo and everybody's, you know, happy. And it turns out that Bo is going to get to fuck the Australian roommate because she's sort of giving him fuck eyes a little bit now. But she's also looking at Luke because she wants to fuck him too. So I guess Luke's going to fuck everybody. Back at the Duke farm, Boss Bart Reynolds and Sheriff Roscoe, he has a giant ass in this movie. Like, it's really big. It's like one of those Dan Aykroyd asses that you mentioned in the last episode. Uncle Jesse is there and he's being tied up back to back with Wonder Woman with rope. At first I thought they were in Wonder Woman's kitchen, but are they in the Duke farm kitchen? Right. They are at the Duke farm. Right. Why would they be back at their farm if they got kicked off their farm? You know what? Don't worry about it. Boss Burt Reynolds says, um, hey there, uh, uh, Bo and Luke Duke, uh, I've got your uh, Uncle Jesse here and Wonder Woman. They're all tied up. (laughs) And uh, I've come back to uh, Hazard today. Uh, It's going to be terrible because, you know, I got this uh, evil plan and I don't want you to run it for me. Everybody's at the Duke farm and uh, evil plan. (laughs) And Bo and Luke, they drop off Katie Johnson and the Australian roommate at Sheev's place. Because the movie realizes like, oh shit, these girls are still in the backseat. What the fuck? What do we do with them? <laughs> Let's drop them off at Sheev's place. And so Bo and Luke Duke are like, hey Sheev, we need some of your toys. Right. And he's like, hey, as long as you leave these girls, you can have whatever you want. And you're like, what in the fuck is happening in this movie? Are all the men in this film just sex traffickers? Yes, and all of the women are objects of desire, have no agency, and basically are just gift-wrapped breasts and ass. This is hostile, too, without all the torture. Sure. Bosworth Reynolds calls Enos, and he says, uh, Hey, um, Enos, we're, uh, we're at the Duke place, so uh, whatever you do, don't tell Daisy. <laughs> and uh, he knows that if he tells Daisy, then Daisy will tell the Duke boys, but I think they already know where they are. Back at the sheriff's office, Daisy Duke, she comes walking in, and she's wearing nothing but like a raincoat draped over her body in a bikini. And she walks in and just sort of peels off the raincoat. And Ina sees her sexy body and says, they're at your farm. Right. And then Daisy just puts the coat back on and leaves. Right. It's a real boing, booby magic. And then Enos looks at the camera and smiles and we hear this ding. It's very strange. It, it seems way out of line for this movie. It feels like a Cousin Eddie moment. Bingo. Man, just everything about this is just so fucking weird. Like, the fact that literally every time you see Jessica Simpson in this movie, Uh she is just flashing her tits at somebody. That is all this character ever does in every single scene of the film. You know what's troubling about that is that when you first meet Daisy Duke in this, she's a waitress and this guy is objectifying her. And she turns around and just like puts her foot on his throat and says, I will not be objectified. And you're thinking, oh, she's going to be kind of this rough and tumble hard as nails sexy tomboy who's able to hold her own with her idiot cousins and like okay great i see how you're setting that up but she's not after that moment where she steps on that guy's throat the rest of the movie she's just wiggling her ass and shaking her goods literally taking off her clothes in every single scene yeah to to use booby magic to get the guys out of trouble it's a bit cliched but why not make her the smartest of the three 
Right. The the brains of the outfit. Like yeah. when you see her coming out of the secret still, that was my impression too. It was like, oh, she's going to be the smart one. Right. The deceptively brilliant mastermind of the operation because she's so pretty and no one would expect it of. Daisy, after shaking her ass. Which time? When, all the times. Let's <laughs> let's the Dukes know. She's like, hey, Misa talked to Enos. He say, prick it. Brickett gonna keep the people from the coal house and Yusa gonna win the races? Bo, I don't understand what she's saying. Just hang up. Just hang up. <laughs> Bo and Luke Duke are passing Billy Prickett and his entourage, including like a semi. And, you know, it's the car from Stroker Ace. Bo Duke throws the car across the road to stop him, thinking that he's going to be of help. Like, Bo Duke's going to explain to Prickett, here's what's going on. And because he's a hometown boy, he's going to want to pitch in and help. And, and instead, Prickett is like, oh, I know. I know everything that's going on, but this town, it's a shithole. Bo Duke wants to just beat Prickett's ass when he turns out that he's a turncoat to Hazard County. And then Luke says to Bo, he's like, what are we going to do about Uncle Jesse? And then Bo Duke says, Uncle Jesse's old. He's had a good run. If he dies, we get the farm. And there's this uncomfortable pause. And then Bo Duke realizes he's crossed out. He's like, Oh, I'm just kidding with you. Unless you're cool with that plan. I mean, I'm kidding. But I've kind of been poisoning him for a while now. I would totally kill Uncle Jesse. All I need you to do, Luke, is give me the high sign. Just try it, you <laughs> son of a bitch. I lost three toes in Korea. I'll lose four more up your ass when I kick it. Bo and Luke, <laughs> they show up at the Duke farm and they just start doing donuts out in the front. And then Sheriff Roscoe is there and he tells another deputy nearby who is named Cletus that he needs to go out there and stop him. Because remember, Roscoe's inside tying up Jesse and Wonder Woman. Right. Cletus was the deputy on the original Dukes of Hazard show who took over the second banana spot when Enos went off to his spinoff show. But you wouldn't know that unless you'd watch watch the show but who gives a shit I, like how many people were watching this movie and that name got dropped like leaned over to their friend and was like hey that's that's from the tv show that's for fans like us i might have done that to my wife when i watched it <laughs> i think i woke her up she was just like what the fuck why are you watching this nah. what are you doing with your life not even on the couch beside you like went to the bedroom hey wake up what what is it it's it's so late is everything okay yeah cletus, they just mentioned cletus in the dukes of hazard movie what we're getting a divorce outside Bo starts doing donuts again just spraying rocks at all of these police cars that have now made their way to the duke farm while all this is happening inside uncle jesse and wonder woman are tied up to this chair and then the refrigerator pops open and daisy duke just pops out mysteriously and she's like misa gonna save you and so she pulls him in and this is another one of these like secret doors into the people under the stairs caverns that exist inside the duke farm so they disappear and and then while the Duke boys are outside causing a distraction, Sheriff Roscoe, he goes back inside the house and sees that Wonder Woman and Uncle Jesse are gone. And he's like, oh shit, I fucked up again. You know what the real ending of this movie is? Is as they're doing these donuts and there's a point where they come to a stop and the dust begins to settle. It's like the end of the chase or something uh -huh. with all these cars surrounding the General Lee. Right. And what happens is Luke Duke is just like, punch it, Bo, and they drive off. In reality, as soon as the car stopped moving, you just hear, bam, 
bam, bam, bam, crack out, bam, 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 boom, boom, boom. And like fucking Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. They would be murdered, rid- like Corleone style, riddled yep. with bullets. Credits. I would have been okay with that, but that's not what happens. <laughs> no, but it would have been great. We cut to the Hazard Rally and Sheev, he shows up with his armadillo hat on his head and he's there with Ginny Lee Johnson or whatever the hell her name is. And he's out there like, hey, everybody, Boss Burt Reynolds is going to strip mine the town. Follow me. We're all going to go to court. Yay. And nobody follows him. And it's not very funny. Here's a prediction that I was happily wrong about. I was absolutely sure what they were going to do is have the two girl companions stripped down to their bras or something Uh to get everybody to follow them like there's some Pied Piper of boobies. Had this movie been made a decade earlier, you would have been spot on. (laughs) i was genuinely surprised it didn't happen bo and luke they speed away from the cops who at this point start firing bullets at our heroes not enough to actually kill them and then luke shoots a flaming bow and arrow at a cop car and the cop car explodes but don't worry the cops are seen alive inside Mm -hmm. their burning wreckage of their vehicle and then cooter decides to show back up in the movie because he's now in the attic of the duke farm he's part of their escape plan to save uncle jesse and wonder woman and then we get a scene where the general lee gets up up on two wheels and rides diagonally between the narrow opening of a barn and they get away and all the cop cars can't because they're not up on two wheels. Sheev calls Bo and Luke and he says, nobody's coming to stop boss Burt Reynolds at the courthouse. So Bo and Luke decide to switch to plan B, which includes Johnny Knoxville performing his own stunts and just jumping out of a moving car as Bo Duke speeds away with the cops in hot pursuit. Yes. And so the court proceeding has begun. Mm-hmm. with Roscoe and the judge being the only people in the courtroom. And the Basset Hound, who we don't know is named Flash. Right. They have a ticking clock, which is that there's a deadline at noon after 12 p.m. on rally race day. Mm-hmm. Nobody can complain if Boss Hog uh, starts strip mining the land. Cut to the Hazard Rally, where Black Betty starts playing. Ba-dum. Ba-dum. Oh, Black Betty. Black Betty had a child. Bam, ba, damn, damn thing gone wild. Bam, ba, damn. Oh. oh my God, this 70s ass rock that's all over this movie. Jesus. But then, to show up and save our movie, it's Joe Don Baker as the governor of Georgia. Hey there, movie. It's uh, good to be here. Uh, did I hear that this is an open bar? Because I could take a snoot. Don't worry. I've got my own. I got a flask here. I got one here. I got one back here, and I got one in my boot. (laughs) How you doing, Jimbo? I call everybody Jimbo. Nope, that's my gun. I take a gun on set with me, too. I got nothing but liquor and a gun and my lines. Now, this gun, it looks like a gun, but guess what? It's a flask. (laughs) Now, look at this flask. It's a gun. That's how I get through security. Do I have that backwards? Hell, I don't know. One way or the other, my my pain is done. Boss Burt Reynolds is like, uh, here's a... An actor, he's in uh, James Bond movies, and uh, I think he was Mitchell. <laughs> and he's uh, governor here. think he probably uh, beat up John Rambo. Probably did that. Hell, I don't remember. I'm just happy to be here, Bert. <laughs> well, Joe Don Baker starts the race. <laughs> Gentlemen, drunkenly start your engines. How else do you start your engine? <laughs> All right, gentlemen, blow into your dash. What the hell? <laughs> what? How? You're telling me you've never had a DUI? 
Son, you just ain't living. Do you have a driver's license? Have you never been on a date? Do you go to church? You've never been in a funeral procession? A Christmas parade? So yeah, Joe Don Baker starts the race and Prickett is talking to his, you know, radio man. And uh, he's like, y'all, I'm going to want some pina coladas at the end of this race. I'm not going to lie to you. As they take off, the General Lee whips onto the track behind the other racers with the police in pursuit. And now the race is the general lee versus all the racers versus the police it sounds better than it actually is yeah honestly if you had just filmed most of this sequence directly on toilet paper you would have saved a lot of trouble but anyway there's another cameo from a broken lizard guy as the the racing reporter yeah so burt reynolds is then radios and he's like uh yeah i think i saw a orange car or something uh every (laughs) Everybody here seems real upset about it, so uh, I guess don't let it near the courthouse. <laughs> then we get a, a, a shot of Bo Duke being shot at by police, finally, which seems overdue. The James Gang's funk starts playing. This movie just shifts gears with soundtrack. It's the Suicide Squad of shitty car movies, where yes. just every time you turn around, somebody um, a song is playing to tell you how you ought to feel about the scene you're watching. Luke Duke and Uncle Jesse have stolen Boss Hog's Cadillac convertible. Yes. And have somehow caught up, by the way, with the General Lee and all the racers. That's a fast Cadillac, man. And Uncle Jesse is using the moonshine in the back seat to make molotov cocktails and do some more of his catskill style humor while setting fire to police cars it's all a bunch of throwaway larry the cable guy jokes it's all very dull the final chase sequence of this and it ultimately arrives at a roadblock where a bunch of cops are there and then daisy duke shows up to kind of dismiss it by shaking her breast and her ass at him and we hear these boots are made for walking starts playing and then one of the male cops he takes the bait to go out and see what's going on with daisy duke following the siren song of her car being broke down and then this one lone female cop who is probably more than likely a lesbian stereotype and she not into dumb blondes she just intervenes and says to daisy duke tough shit go fix your own car it is pretty good and then prickett and bo duke are kind of racing head to head now guess who wins bo you know what here's another james roday fan club moment for me is when as they're racing towards the end of the finish line or towards the the finish line james roday screams out he's playing with me i think it's funny it makes me laugh. The race goes past the finish line. They cross the finish line. Bo Duke right. wins. But now everybody's kind of chasing the race. And the gig is that they're going to lead all the crowd to the courthouse by taking the race there, essentially. None of this makes any sense, but okay. And Joe Don Baker is like, well, hell, I guess we got to follow him. Look, before we get in the car and, and chase after him, have you been drinking? You have? Good. You're driving. I have not had nearly enough for this to be. I'm way too shaky. I will run us right off the road. I call it I call it my DT, my drive-throughs. I can't. I got to get at least a fifth in me. Boss Burt Reynolds is, calls the blockade and is just like, hey, uh, you got a bunch of cars coming at you. Everything going okay on this blockade? <laughs> And they're like, uh, yeah, we got you, boss hog. And so to get over this blockade, Cooter parks the tow truck in front of this, <laughs> again, would have been met with a hail of gunfire, but somehow just... At least a pair of handcuffs, Bo. Yeah, 
like get that we we are going to blow that car up if you don't get it out of the way but he parks the tow truck there and then backs the ramp so that makes a ramp for the general lee to jump over the blockade which it does it's some real cgi bullshit man it looks terrible and then luke duke and uncle jesse run through the blockade in boss hawk's car it's like well why not just make them go first and you follow behind them because you're just going to run through them anyway ah whatever right before the judge is about to dismiss this uh strip mining hearing all i have to do is drop my gavel this one time which i am going to do in three a two a one stop the proceedings stop the proceedings yeah so everybody piles into the courtroom and they're like what boss hog wants to strip mine hazard county fuck that let's kill him and they're like no no we can't do that we can't go that far but we're we're anti-strip mining everybody good with that and they're like yeah fine and then governor joe don baker shows up and boss Bert reynolds is there and all the cops that were chasing the duke boys are there bo and luke duke are going to jail for a long time because earlier that day they escaped police custody they are going to prison for a very long time and then daisy duke she comes over and grabs this television reporter and the camera and she's like i think the governor joe don baker want to say something on tv and she says how these here duke boys are the heroes for saving the hazard county and how you gonna pardon them for all their crimes and then governor joe don baker says uh yeah whatever tits mcgee says here uh, pardon <laughs> these boys for any offense to the great state of georgia go dogs and everybody's like that's not how pardons work you cannot preemptively pardon someone what if they were involved in child sex trafficking that doesn't hold up it's not a verbal get out of jail free card well as if to emphasize this willie nelson strolls up to him and is like i'm gonna need a pardon too (laughs) and he's like what for you don't look drunk yet (laughs) uncle jesse says for this just sit back and watch then he punches boss hog in the face and knocks him out it's a real cuckoo cuckoo right and then he's like guess what it's time to end this movie let's just do a party scene the balladeer wraps things up with some totally forgettable voiceover work and then the movie just ends at a barbecue and we see some lady with a baby on her knee and then wonder woman is there drinking a bud light then we get a joke with uncle jesse smoking weed with sheev and governor joe don baker (laughs) i gotta tell you normally i don't like the marijuana uh just it's not my preference i prefer something that is going to scar my liver if you get where i'm coming from but i'll tell you uh uncle jesse that is some fine chiba the movie's final scene has luke duke in the backseat of the general lee with katie johnson getting ready to have sex with her again and then in the front seat is the australian roommate and she's sucking on bo duke's neck as bo whispers sweet nothings to the general lee and the australian roommate thinks that these sweet nothings are for her and bo says to the car you're the most beautiful thing i've ever seen i want to give you a bath and clean you up you'd like that right and the roommate says oh yes i'd like that And Bo whispers to the car, don't worry about her. She's crazy. In this already. And at this point, the girl earlier, the farmer's daughter that Luke Duke was fucking up in the upstairs of the farmhouse, she shows up with a shotgun to kill Luke Duke because he's now having sex with someone who isn't her. And then Bo and Luke Duke, they just speed away in the General Lee as Willie Nelson sings the theme song to the TV show, The Dukes of Hazard. The end. Well, not quite, Chad. Oh. Because to further emulate movies like Smokey and the Bandit and movies yes. that are 
far, far better. We have a rule here on this show, which is don't remind us of better movies. And this falls firmly into that category. But it's just a bunch of outtakes with kind of Smokey and the Bandit Cannonball Run style. Uh huh. Difference being, none of these are terribly funny. The only one that's really memorable is how shocking it is when Joe Don Baker is like looking at Jessica Simpson and says, I forget my lines every time I look down at her titties. <laughs> and you're like, what? You can't say that to people. What do you want me to do? Look at her titties. You did like the part where Johnny Knoxville shows Sean William Scott his balls and his cock, and he just keeps whipping out his dick, which under most working conditions is considered sexual harassment. I didn't necessarily get a big laugh out of that because I've kind of lived it. Uh-huh. When I worked at a car dealership for a short time, and the boss that I had there would occasionally pull his ball sack out. Good God. And you would glance over, and because of the way the dealership is built, you know, They've got kind of a higher counter where the managers are and stuff. Uh And so you would walk up to that door and when he would stand up, you would be kind of eye to ball sack with him. Interesting. And then he would say, what do you think? Are these two wrinkled to wear? And he did that a number of times. Yeah, I think he had some problems is what I'm saying. I think he was interested in you. You, do you think he was giving me some not so subtle signals that I am and forever will be too dumb to receive? If that was the case, you would have probably been in the Dukes of Hazard movie. If only. Like I said uh, up front, we say a lot of times this is one of the worst movies we, we've ever covered on this show. I think the Dukes of Hazard is just wall to wall shit. I think it's boring. It's boring. You know, we talked about the racism that you can't escape in it. It's just not funny like there is no reason for anyone to watch this movie it's not funny it's not entertaining it is not a love letter to the tv show it was made by people who clearly didn't give a shit about any of that it's just not very good yeah it's a little too much of too many cooks in the kitchen where it's like eh, there's a little bit of jackass there's a little bit of broken lizard there's a little bit of sort of parody in it it just none of it adds up to anything and i i never want to think about this movie again so next Next time, Chad. We have something that is clearly head and shoulders above this movie. Something that really does a fantastic job of taking the small screen version of a television show that you know and love and really amplifying it in such a way that you feel the larger than life presence on the big screen in such a way that you truly are perplexed by how this happened. Uh, We have Welcome to the Show, Dennis Miller, the Tales from the Crypt adaptation no 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 not the good one with William Sadler the bad one with William Sadler Bordello of Blood this will feature one Corey as well as a number of prostitute vampires it is a heady blend of pulp comic sensibility and boobies you have angie everhart you've got your erica aleniacs i don't know what that means i I think she was on the baywatch okay you also have chris sarandon from a good vampire movie called fright night yes and was also in child's play uh so he's kind of a horror movie mainstay and this was at a time when dennis miller was super hot and they were like what if he starred in a movie? What if he was an announcer for the NFL? I don't know all the rules, babe. Why, uh, why is it only 10 yards? How about you get in the end zone, cha-cha? So expect that kind of silliness and more. This is going to be a train wreck. It's terrible. It's a terrible, yeah. terrible movie. Oh, hey, before we go, though, Chad, I would like to say a thanks. Um, 
to some folks. Uh, we don't have a ton of reviews, but all of them are five stars, and I thought that was really nice. So uh, if you are enjoying the show, uh, please feel free to add to that number. It, it actually does help with the visibility of the show. You can review our show? Yeah, right on the iTunes. And, and several people have. I always say like, rate, review, but I don't know what those words mean. I didn't know they were different words. Come back and see us again in two weeks' time. You can send us an email at picksixmovies at gmail.com. You can like, rate, review, and according to Bo, that's a real thing that can actually be done. Send us your feedback. Let us know what you think. We have a great time doing the show. We love to hear from uh, all the people who listen to us through social media or other uh, forms of communication. Bo, any final thoughts on the Dukes of Hazard? No, uh, as far as I'm concerned, there is only one bow that is relevant, and it is I. Bow knows movies. Just stop it. <laughs>